Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Thorne Byron by the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam Hurt. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcott from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the Adelaide Mannheim. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Good weekend and welcome to the season 15 finale of the Pipeline Show. This program started back in uh, February of 2006, 15 seasons later. We are wrapping up uh, for another season, and uh, then I'll be taking a couple of weeks off and coming back to start season 16 in uh, the middle of August. Welcome to the Pipeline Show, everybody. My name is Guy Flaming. Thanks for stopping by. If you're a returning listener, then thank you for the continued support, especially if you're uh, one of those who have signed up to be a patron at patreon.com slash show. If you're a newcomer to the uh, program, then uh, welcome aboard. Good time to uh, join the show, although uh, you're not going to have an episode for the next couple of weeks after this one. Uh, But looking forward to uh, kicking off this season finale as we've got uh, six guests lined up uh, today. All of them uh, really timely conversations that uh, I think you're going to enjoy a lot, especially if you're a fan of the NHL draft. And with all six of these interviews uh, put together, it's a rather lengthy show. So this intro segment uh, today uh, is going to be very, very short. In fact, I'm going to tell you the six guests who uh, are uh, coming up that you'll hear via the Troubled Monk hotline. Tap room in uh, Red Deer is now open, and if you uh, are a fan of craft beer, well, this is craft beer worth sharing. You can get same-day home delivery uh, if you're in Alberta. You go to the website, that's troubledmonk.com, spend 50 bucks on your order, and get it in before 1 o'clock, and uh, later that evening you'll be enjoying your tasty craft beer. But they also have vodka and the Epitaph Gin, as well as uh, the uh, Troubled Tea, and a variety of uh, soda pop as well. I know uh, on my uh, brief uh, vacation coming up, I'll be taking a selection of uh, Troubled Monk with me. And one of the reps from uh, Troubled Monk, Michelle, gave me the tip. She said she likes to mix the uh, the Troubled Tea and the Epitaph Gin the that comes in the cans, gin and tonic basically. Uh, but she likes to mix those, and I gave that a shot, added some lime. It's fantastic. Insider tip there that uh, has panned out. Anyway, Troubled Monk has been the uh, sponsor of the, the phone line, and as I mentioned, six guests today that you're going to hear from who all joined me uh, courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. Now, when I was thinking of what I wanted to do for a season finale, in previous years, the season finale I, it comes at the end of July. It's the last show of July, but usually the NHL draft has come and gone, at the end of June, obviously not the case this year. So a little bit different for a season finale this year, as it's uh, basically a, a much bigger draft preview. I asked six scouts from six uh, various uh, outlets 
to come on the show and uh, share their perspective on uh, a number of players. And the way I phrased it to those guys, I said I want uh, six personal favorites, whether it was from them or from the outlets that they work for, uh, but six personal favorites. If they were in charge of running an NHL team, six guys who at some point along the way, rounds one through seven, give me six names of guys that you would do your darndest to make sure that your team eventually drafted. Could be a seventh round pick. Could be a completely unranked guy that you're just taking a flyer on. Sleepers uh, in some regards, but uh, I mean, there are people who are are picking uh, bigger name players as well, not sleepers, but guys they like maybe more than other people. And then I also asked them for at least one player who will get taken in the draft, but earlier than they think that player should be. You can call that being overrated or uh, whatever you want, but doesn't mean that the uh, the scout doesn't like player X. It just means that the scout doesn't like player X as much as everybody else seems to. So that is the premise of the show and the six guests that we have coming up. We're going to start with a guy who has been on the show uh, right from the beginning, Ross McLean, who once upon a time when he first started coming on the show, he was with ISS, but that, I mean, that was way back when. Then he had to leave and he was working for Hockey Canada for, well, about a decade, I think. Uh, and now he's uh, running McLean Hockey. I'll tell you briefly what that's all about, and then we'll get into his picks for the draft, his personal favorites. We'll go from Ross to uh, Brad Allen from uh, HockeyProspect.com. Of course, you know we've had uh, scouts from Hockey Prospect uh, on the uh, program throughout the year for the last four or five years, and they always do a great job with the Black Book. Uh, so we'll uh, get some personal favorites from Brad. And from there, we'll uh, catch up with Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet, who is their CHL guy for sure, and uh, puts together the draft rankings for Sportsnet. After Sam, we'll check in with J.D. Burke from Elite Prospects and uh, EP Ringside. Then a newcomer to the show, Tony Ferrari, who uh, is with Dauber Hockey and Dauber Prospects. He's going to share his perspective on uh, six guys for the draft that are personal favorites of his. And the final guest of the season will be Ryan Wagman from McKean's. He's been on the show in the past and always does a terrific job. So we'll put the question to him as well. So six guests who are going to give us at least six personal favorites. And I think, if I remember correctly, there's very, very little overlap. So you're probably going to get to know 34, 35 players really well. Guys who you might be able to call sleepers to some regard, although... One guy does start his list with <laughs> with Alexi Lafreniere, but we'll I give him the gears about that. Uh, and then you're also going to get to know uh, six, seven, maybe even about a dozen guys who might be overrated in the eyes of some scouts. So you'll be able to take uh, some food for thought from that as well. So as I mentioned, it's a really long show, so let's get right to it. Uh, coming up first on the season 15 finale is uh, Ross McLean from McLean Hockey. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. And Raymond stays with him, Lafreniere pokes it ahead, still has it, rolling puck, Lafreniere works in, shoots, scores! What a goal by Alexi Lafreniere! A superstar in the making! This is Alexi Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Hi, I'm Sarah from Arcan Trailer and RV. We know many lives have been altered and plans have changed, but something that hasn't changed is everyone's desire to make new memories with their families. 
Arcan wants to help you go camping this summer and we'd like to make your payments for you. This isn't a deferral. We'll make your payments all summer long. Or if you currently have an RV but need a new one, trade it in and we'll make your payments too. It's on us. Visit ArcanRV.com for details and start planning your best trip ever. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Now that is a man who has eaten a lot of beef. All right, this is The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and uh, a big episode to close out Season 15 is we're going to talk to a number of uh, of guys who uh, follow the NHL draft very closely and uh, know a lot of the players. And uh, my first guest this week uh, is a guy, boy, he, he used to be The Pipeline Show's scout as uh, Ross McLean joins us once again. Uh, Ross, welcome back to The Pipeline Show, pal. How are you? I'm doing great. It's always great to be back here. Definitely one of my uh, favorite shows to be on, and uh, always have a good time chatting with you. Well, I appreciate that. And you were telling me you're you're hopping busy these days. A lot of us are just sitting uh, stuck at home and and quarantining and isolating and all that. But uh, man, you're actually on the ice and and really busy. Tell us uh, briefly about McLean Hockey and what's that all about. Yeah, so I, I formed McLean Hockey after my time with Hockey Canada. I basically inherited their development program model. Um, which I was working with during my time there to try and uh, support minor hockey associations in terms of coach mentorship and player development initiatives. Uh, so developing resources, uh, creating plans, running sessions, uh, lining up skill, qualified skills coaches with, uh, with minor hockey associations and helping them that way. So uh, that's been a, a very big use of my time since the uh, rinks opened back up because everybody wanted to get on the ice right away. So uh, we've been on the ice four or five times a day since uh, since the last week of June. And uh, it just seems like we just keep doing more and more. And then with the, with the minor hockey season approaching and, and so much of a, a shroud of mystery around how it's going to work and associations needing to do different things to evaluate players, we're, we're trying to help them and support them in terms of uh, protocols that will that will not only help them keep kids safe but help them properly evaluate and uh, set up for for any sort of competition model so very very busy time also doing a little bit of consultation on on nhl draft prospects and then uh, working with a bunch of players that are you know getting ready for their seasons for for college and, and major junior and so on as well so fantastic well i appreciate you making a little bit of time out of your busy schedule uh, for the pipeline so let's get into what we wanted to talk about with you and and that's uh, i asked uh, all of my guests this week to to give me half a dozen players that are, you know, a bit personal favorites, kind of. Everybody's going to like some of these players, but uh, why in particular you might like them more than other teams. And then there's another guy as well that uh, maybe will get taken in the draft earlier than you in particular would uh, would take that player. Let's start with uh, the, the one side of the ledger, though, and Dylan Holloway, a guy that uh, has become a personal favorite of yours. Uh, tell us why. Well, you know, I don't want to put unfair expectations on a kid, and I definitely want to express a little bit of personal bias here. You know, I've worked with this kid over the years, and uh, I've worked with a few kids over the years that I've watched them work their way into something special. Um, this kid comes from an association here in Calgary that I've been working with, you know, for over a decade now, and, and you know, that's the Northwest Calgary Athletic Association, and they've developed kids like Kale McCarr, Matt Dumba, Brett Leeson, uh, and even the other first-round candidate and potentially top defenseman in the draft, Jake Sanderson, they all came from the same association. But i got to say, Dylan is probably the flat-out flat out most dedicated, hardest-working, hungry, and humble kid of the lot that I've worked with over the decade. So that's not to try and take away from anybody I've mentioned, but mm-hmm. Hallway really is that special. He's got those intangibles. He absorbs new skills, looks like he's had them his whole life, and it only takes him a brief period to do it. 
you know, he's got skating mechanics that are similar to McKinnon, competitive intensity that, you know, I can really only put with some of the top guys in the world, like Crosby. Um, and then he's got kind of a throwback two-way skill set style, like a Guy Carboneau, Doug Gilmore type player. I just feel he's the type of guy teams win with this type of player. Um, I don't expect him to be a star scorer in the league, um, but he, he'll definitely contribute. Um, I just think he's going to be one of the hardest players to match up against as he develops into a pro. And I really think, you know, the, the, the ceiling for this guy is as high as something like a Bergeron O'Reilly type guy. And, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past him that he, he potentially has a couple selfies in his future. He's been, you know, influenced a lot uh, over the years through Brendan Morrison, uh, who's just a great human being and, and has really taught him a lot as well. So, uh, again, just some sort of personal insight on this kid. I've worked with a ton of the top players over the years mm-hmm. and you just don't see work ethic and intensity and focus like you do uh with this kid so uh, that to me has been one of the telling things over my you know 15 years 20 years in the business here uh of evaluating players that just speaks above anything else and character guy he's going to work his way to whatever teams need him to be so i just think he is supreme value in the mid first round and even if somebody reaches to take him you know even in the top 10 i would say it's a great pick when you mentioned that his mechanics skating mechanics are a lot like uh nathan mckinnon there will be people who jump at that and say wow he's a speed he's as fast as as nathan mckinnon is that what you meant by mechanics or you just mean the way they actually put their their skating stride together and are you suggesting that he's going to like McKinnon's like he shot out a rocket out of a out of a cannon at times yeah I, his speed's not quite there yet but it is not far off and it continues to develop. But, the, you know, the, this is a guy who altered his stride in his mid-teens because he liked the way McKinnon skated. Hmm. And he just absorbed it. He watched it. He asked how to do it. He learned different ways to do it. I mean, he's done a ton of work with Corey McNabb at Hockey Canada, who I think is just the skills guru, probably the best in the world in terms of, you know, communicating skills to people. And it's made a difference for him. But that's what I mean. This is a kid that just sees something, says, I want to do that, and just absorbs it and puts everything he has into actually doing it. So, you know, mechanic-wise, he's got a very, very similar style. I think, you know, the, the power base isn't quite there yet, but it's going to come. I mean, this is a kid who's going to put a ton of work in the weight room. Last time I saw him, he bulked up big time and was looking very much like a man, but still lots of growth to do. And he's, he's a guy you can be sure is going to put in more than the expected effort every time. Now, Ross, you don't actually put a, a ranking out there for anybody. So when I ask you about Emil Andre, who's a, a, a defenseman out of Sweden, uh, you can't tell me if you uh, you know have him where you have him. But it, I mean, is, are we talking in your mind that if he was a first round pick, it wouldn't phase you at all, or uh, where do you like Emil Andre? Yeah, part of the reason I added him to this list is because a lot of people talk about him as kind of a mid second round, late second round guy, and right. I think he has the potential to be a late first round guy. To me, he fits in the elite crop of D in this draft class. You know, I feel Drysdale's in a class of his own. I think Sanderson is in another class just behind Drysdale. And then I think you've got your Justin Barons, uh, Braden Schneiders, Caden Gooley. And I think, I think Andre fits in there. I think he has just as much potential as any of them, maybe even a little bit more at times. Um, you know, I think there's a great crop of D available in rounds one to three. Um, and I think he's lining up to be one of the better steals. Mm-hmm. His skill set reminds me a lot of Chris Letang uh, at his age. Uh, he's got great awareness. Uh, I would say his awareness is elite, especially with the puck. Uh, you know, really, really good, sharp execution mechanics around the puck, quick reactions, uh, scans the ice incredibly well with and without the puck, and always just seems to find himself uh, in good positions to, to make plays. He's got great distribution skills, 
manages the game really well, just a, a really good processor. And also, you know, for his size, is, is pretty rugged. Um, you know, isn't afraid to, to take a hit to make a play, uh, isn't afraid to give a hit. You know, he, he'll, he'll battle back. So, you know, he might be undersized, but I don't think it matters one iota. I think that this kid can flat out play. And very much like Chris Letang in his draft year, he ended up being a second-round steal. I think this kid is lining up to be uh, very much uh, a similar situation. Yeah, not the biggest guy in the world. What is he, about 5'9", five, 5'10", five, something like that, but 180-ish, 185 pounds, somewhere in there. So he's a bit of a fire hydrant. Yeah, he's he's rugged. He's rugged for sure. And you know, again, I he's five nine if you like him, and I do. So he's five nine. Um, but it doesn't seem to matter. And I think we're moving away from that need for you know oversized D. Uh, there's a lot of undersized D that are, are are making a name for themselves because of their ability to skate the game, because of their ability to you know have elite processing skills uh, while the play is going on and really manage manage the game well and I think this kid fits in that category perfectly and and really every time I see him I can't help but think of Chris Letang. All right Ross let's go to a goaltender uh, the first goalie that we're talking about this week coming out of the queue but he is from uh, Slovakia and that will be uh, Samuel Lavi who if uh, if I remember correctly is that he was he eligible last year and got passed over? Yeah, he was. And, you know, there's a, there's a few players here that I'm going to talk about today that were, were overlooked in last year's draft. I think okay. this is a great draft for all positions, and I think it's enhanced even more so by the fact that there were a few players that were undrafted last year uh, who probably shouldn't have been, like, should have been drafted last year, but they've developed extremely well. And Hlava might be team captain of that group. I mean, he's been a really, really good goaltender on bad teams for a long time. And, I mean, these were teams that were just in over their heads all the time. And this year he finally got, found himself on a team that was actually pretty strong, and I think he proved his worth. Uh, I, was, I was really shocked no one took a flyer on him last year. I mean, this is a kid. He's 6'4", he's got size, he's got poise, uh, you know, mental toughness, positional awareness is great, uh, very mature. Uh, he's got a lot of the key characteristics I look for in, in a young goaltender. Um, I think he's still got a lot of room to get better, which really makes him even more exciting of a prospect. He's a great puck tracker, good reflexes, but I think overall he's the type of goalie you can feel good about as a coach, you know, standing behind the bench, not being able to influence the game. He's the type of guy, he's not going to lose you any games. He's he's going to go in there, he's going to do his job, and, and you know, he's going to stop the puck and you can rely on him. And I think, you know, a goaltender that has all of those things together, um, I think he's going to be one of the steals of this draft. Uh, I don't think he's going to go through it again at all. And I, I would say that probably in the third round is, is where, um, you know, he probably belongs in this draft, but we may even see him go a little bit earlier. All right. And he's got obviously some international experience as well. And the fact that he's uh, been willing to, uh, this is his second year in North America. He played in the USHL, uh, the season prior to this one. That shows a bit of a commitment thing, too, to, to actually being in North America. Does that help? It definitely does. Um, obviously, there are some nuances in terms of, you know, the CHL player agreements and how uh, European players are used. Um, and for goaltenders, you want them to face as many shots. You want them to play. So I think he's in a really great situation in terms of uh, the development opportunities that are in front of him. And uh, certainly teams are going are gonna to look at that. They're going to look at, okay, is this a guy that we can control? His development, are we going to be able to see him a lot, or are we going to have to go out of our way? And especially in the in the uh, you know, climate of of how things are right now, and this again, as I said before, the shroud of mystery uh, surrounding how everything is is going to play out. I think that is a really important thing that you know he's here and they can work with him and they can see him and you know he's going to stay over here. 
All right, let's go to another defenseman. This time, uh, Jake Ratzloff, who was uh, in high school this past season and uh, playing for uh, Rosemont High. He was the captain there. 13 points in, in 25 games. He did sprinkle in three games uh, with the Green Bay Gamblers of the USHL. He's going to the University of Minnesota, but I'm not sure if that's this coming season uh, or the season after. Of course, we don't even know if there is going to be a, a coming season this year, but uh, Central Scouting has him ranked 90th in North America. Uh, what stands out about him to you, and whereabouts in the draft do you, would you take him? Well, he's a very interesting case. I think he's a prime draft day steal. He's got a great skill set, knows how to optimize it to be effective, very versatile, really raw skating mechanics that are only going to smooth out as he gains power. Uh, I think he's just really projectable as a defenseman, especially a long-term prospect, a guy that's going the collegiate route. Uh, he's a guy you can wait on for a couple years, and when he gets to be about you know 22, He's going to be something. He's he's just got all of these things that are just waiting to explode. You know, he manages the game really well right now already. Uh, he can play in a variety of situations. I love the way he uses his deception skills with the puck. He clears up lanes really well. Great first pass. Can open up lanes on the point with just little subtle shoulder fakes and, and stick fakes. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he got anywhere near the exposure he should have this year because of everything that went on. And I think he's someone that's that's going to jump up and and really end up being one of those guys that we look back on in a few years and say, whoa, this guy went where? Hmm. He, he's just got, he, he oozes potential. He's just going to be a, a, a real uh, jack-of-all-trades guy that you can kind of put anywhere. I mean, and I, I wouldn't even rule out the fact that at some point he could run a power play at the NHL level. Uh, I, I believe he's collegiate ready, um, but, you know, another year does, doesn't hurt as well. There's no there's no rush, I think, when players decide to go that way. And again, I'd be looking at this guy as a prospect more when he's 22, 23, 24. So I think he's one of those prime middle of the draft, uh, really safe bets. That was uh, Jake Ratzleff. Uh, let's go to uh, Alex Young, who was in the AJHL uh, for his third straight season, all with the Canmore Eagles, and a big year for him, 82 points in 53 games now he's going to colgate i don't know not necessarily the uh the immediate hockey factory uh, type school colgate doesn't really pop to mind but tell me about the player and and what you like well very much like dylan hall he's, he's another guy i've had a little you know some pretty extensive background with actually and, and i've really been blown away by his development uh you know he, he went through the draft last year and again he was a guy i thought someone should have taken a seventh round flyer on just with his potential and I think he's a guy that there's a lot of teams that are probably kicking themselves for not taking a chance on. Uh, you know, this kid can just flat out fire a puck. His, his release mechanics and, and movements are exceptional. They're really deceptive. Uh, the puck just explodes off his stick. And, you know, goaltenders hate this guy. Uh, you know, he's got a great work ethic. Uh, really works hard on his shifts to try and make things happen. Uh, and anybody that hasn't faced his shot before, just how quick it comes off his stick is really, it's, it's elite. It's one of those, you know, you expect it from, you know, premier level goal scorers. And it's a guy who's a late bloomer and, uh, you know, he's done very, very well, but again, he's a late bloomer. He's just going to keep getting better. And, you know, I think he's the type of guy who is really going to turn heads with the collegiate ranks. Um, and especially, uh, at a university where, or a college where it looks like he's actually going to have the opportunity to, to be the guy again. Right. And, you know, that's one of the benefits going to places like that, especially when you're unheralded, is that you get all the reps, you get all the pucks, you get to be the trigger man on the power play, you know, and I think that's only going to make him better. And it's a guy that I think everyone's going to look at a few years down the road and say, whoa, this guy actually went through a draft? Because, you know, I, I really, truly believe he has 
uh, NHL potential. This kid could play at that level and be a, a strong secondary scorer for a team, uh, you know, down the road. That was Alex Young. He was part of the AJHL team that went over to uh, Russia for the Junior Club World Cup last summer, had a point per game there. But at the World Junior A Challenge that was in, uh, what, Fort St. John, I believe, or Dawson Creek, uh, just one point in four games for uh, Canada West there. Um, does that concern you at all that, uh, you know, the production was at one tournament but not at the other? Sometimes, um, you know, but anything can, can happen in those. And, and you know, having been at that tournament and seen some of uh, of the games, uh, it was not a very strong team. Um, they, they were not able to really click together uh, as well as they probably should have. And it's a very short tournament. Uh, you play a lot of games in, in very few days. And, you know, if, if you're not on right away, that's what happens. You end up with a tournament where you only end up with one point in, you know, the 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 four days that you played games. Mm. So no, it doesn't, you know, I don't think you can hold that, you know, when you see, a, especially a performance on demand tournament like that, I don't think you can really hold it against a, a kid at this level. Um, it, it's obviously something, you know, you want to, you want to watch, but uh, really ultimately, especially with guys that are going now, if you're looking for long range, long-term prospects and long-term development um, with that world junior A challenge. So you're looking for guys that, have something, but it's not quite there yet. And that's really what I feel about, you know, Alex is that he's, he's got this great shot and he's obviously able to put up shots or put up points, but it's, it's what he, what he hasn't quite figured out yet that you can tell that he's working towards and he's going to get to that really make him exciting. All right. One more guy to get to on the uh, list of uh, maybe underrated guys, personal favorites. We're going back out to the queue. Another guy who went through last year's draft, Another defenseman as well, Christopher Mauricier Ortiz. How badly did I butcher that name? Uh, Christopher Mauricier <laughs> Ortiz uh, played for the uh, Bay Como Dakar. Uh, tell me why he made your list. Well, you know, he asked me for six guys, and I, I, I don't really hate being told what to do, so I, I locked two together to actually make seven. Okay. So, and I'm sticking with my theme of overage players who were passed over here. The two other players I felt should have been drafted last year that were not were Mauricio Ortiz and Edmonton's Josh Williams. I think both could easily find themselves on rosters earlier in the draft to strong teams who there's a strategy now where teams are drafting 19 year olds, um, especially, you know, higher end teams that have, you know, particular winning windows. You look at your Pittsburgh's, your Washington's, they've had real good success with drafting 19 year olds, uh, especially later in the draft. And, uh, you know, it helps them protect their cap and, and it helps them control their development around the, the big name stars. So, you know, with Maurizio Ortiz, I just, I love his skating. He's a fantastic fluid skater. He's continued to develop into a two-way leader and play starter. Uh, he's, he's been putting up points, uh, and his development has just been phenomenal. I can't believe that no one took a shot at him uh, last year. I don't know how he did in, in interviews or anything, but uh, to me, he's just always one of those guys you just can't ignore how well he skates the game. Uh, and then when you talk about Williams, again, he's another guy who just thinks a pure shooter, and they're so hard to come by. And while I think he's a complimentary-type player, I think he's got really great potential when he's paired with players who actually know how to use his skill set to their advantage, guys that can find him, guys that can, you know, use his timing. And I think he's got really elite offensive timing. He just happens to just kind of float by the net at the perfect time to exactly where a rebound's going to pop out. So, you know, I, again, I think both of these guys, uh, having been passed over, deserve some consideration. And if they make it, you know, this far in the draft around six or seven, uh, their steals. All right. That was Josh Williams uh, of the Edmonton Oil Kings there at the end. He was streaky this past year. There were stretches where he was putting two or three points a, a game 
up, and then there were, you know, inconsistencies still uh, a bit of an issue for him. But uh, like to hear that you made uh, you put him uh, to your list. Now I did ask you for one guy that's on the opposite side of the ledger. Not that you don't like him, but uh, he's going to go in the draft before you would be comfortable taking him. Tell me why Lucas Raymond is that player for you. You know, you always do this to me. You force me to speak ill of teenagers, and it's just a vile business. Uh, if you're going to make me do it, the reason I'm saying Lucas Raymond is is not because I don't absolutely love what he can do or think he's going to be a star. But most people I've talked to about him have him in the in the third overall, the fifth overall range. And right. I mean, that's pretty consistent where, where people think he's going to go. And, and quite frankly, um, you know, I like his countryman, Alexander Holtz, more. I think Raymond is a finisher, but I think Holtz is a finisher and a starter. Uh, you know, I, I'm sorry to the Raymond family if they're listening. Your kid's spectacular, but I think everyone has it slightly off on which suite is more valuable as an NHL prospect. Uh, to me, wherever Holtz goes, Raymond should go directly after him. Um, and I know this is the biggest cop-out to this answer I could possibly come up with, but quite frankly, it's what you deserve, Mr. Flaming, for making me do it. <laughs> I appreciate it, and I'll accept it. I feel like I need a shower now. <laughs> I'll, I'll accept that answer. Hey, listen, it's not that you don't like him. It's just you wouldn't take him in the top five. That's all. That's it's not that big of a deal. That's really great. The, really, the point that I want to make is I think Holt should be taken before before Raymond is taken. But yeah. that's... That is, that's as you know as, as negative as I want to be about any of these amazing young talents that are that are, uh, are are coming up through this. Fantastic, Ross List. I really appreciate your time. Always great to have you on the show. Uh, best of luck with McLean Hockey and uh, whatever else you got uh, brewing uh, that we didn't talk about already. Thanks for doing this, man. Stay safe. My pleasure. Anytime. I love doing it, and quite frankly, you should be calling me more. Y- you're not wrong on that, and I will. Uh, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. Have fun. As Ross McLean, an old friend of the uh, Pipeline show, and I had fun in that conversation as well, Ross, and uh, that is a guest that I should get on more often than I do. Let's move quickly to the next guest as we uh, continue on with the Season 15 finale of the Pipeline show, Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com. He's going to give us six personal favorites next here on the Pipeline show. Hey, it's Jake Neighbors from the Edmonton Oil Kings. Sawchuck. Here comes Neighbors driving away. Back in Scores! What a shot! Oh, Jake Gamers, backhander on the rush. It's 4-3 Edmonton. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Oh, my. All right, we're back on the Pipeline Show. We'll continue on with uh, the Season 15 uh, season finale, and uh, we'll uh, bring in another scout to tell us uh, their opinion on the uh, 2020 draft and uh, some uh, personal favorites and some guy, and, and maybe a guy at the other side uh, that uh, is going to go before they would be particularly comfortable uh, taking that player uh, in the draft. And uh, for this segment... We're going to uh, chat with HockeyProspect.com as we do uh, throughout the season. It's uh, Brad Allen's turn to come back on the show. Brad, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm great, Keith. Thanks for having me. 
No problem uh, at all. All right, let's get right to it. And uh, you gave me a list of six guys that uh, you personally or HockeyProspect.com has uh, ranked fairly high. And the the first one, I think everybody has Seth Jones or Seth Jones. I think everybody has Seth Jarvis in their um, in their first round. Uh, but I think uh, HockeyProspect.com is the only place I've seen him in the top ten. You guys are big fans of Seth Jones. Geez, there I did it again. You guys are uh, big fans of uh, Seth Jarvis of the uh, the Portland Winterhawks. Uh, tell me why. Well, we don't think he'll go as high as Seth Jones did go in the draft, but we don't think he'll fall too far either. Um, Seth Jarvis it kind of fits a theme for our entire list, and that's um, having players that highly ranked that that had excellent development curves, meaning they had basically second half surges. They they basically found another gear to their game, mm. and once they found that next gear they took off and dominated the competition at their respective levels. In the case of Seth Jarvis, he played for the Portland Winterhawks in the WHL, and he basically dictated play out on the ice in the the second half of the season. And we believe that the tools that he had and that he used to dictate will translate to the NHL, and and that is why we have him so aggressively ranked. Well, and a big jump in production from his previous season. He had 16 goals and 39 points in his rookie year. 42 goals and 98 points this past year uh, with the Winterhawks, and one of the reasons they were uh, one of the top clubs in the uh, in the Western Conference. W- tell me about him as a player in particular, and what you like about him, uh, other than the point production. I mean, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but uh, you're predicting that's not going to hold him back. No, I think if we told Seth Jarvis that he's five nine, he wouldn't believe it. He doesn't play like his size whatsoever. He's extremely competitive. He has a remarkable effort level, uh, both on and off the puck. And uh, for us, one of the things we really look at is just not in terms of just the the ability to hit or physically initiate, it's how they initiate. In Seth's case, he has an advanced understanding of how to gain inside positioning uh, during board battles, during battles in front of the net. And that is why he's been so successful at creating consistently high danger chances uh, one of the reasons we really, really like the player is that it's extremely rare in any draft to find an agitator that can also be a potential line driver. Mm-hmm. That is that is why Seth Jarvis is as high as he is for us. We think he has those qualities. Now, if you if you look at it from just a skills perspective, okay, so if you look at, we have Lucas Raymond behind Seth Jarvis, for instance. If you were to say skill for skill, Lucas Raymond is, is more talented player than Seth Jarvis. But the reason we have Seth Jarvis ahead of him is because of the mental game that Seth, Seth presents. We really believe that Seth just has the fundamental approach that will help him be extremely successful. And that that approach lags behind some of these other players that we have, uh, we have ranked behind him that we would deem even more talented than him. For instance, like Alexander Holtz has a better shot than Seth Jarvis. Lucas Raymond is a better playmaker than Seth Jarvis. But we really believe that the total package of Seth Jarvis should supersede those two very talented suites. Excellent. Well, if uh, people go to HockeyProspect.com or they've got their copy of the Black Book, they'd see you have uh, Jarvis listed uh, seventh overall uh, for the draft. And as you mentioned, that's ahead of Lucas Raymond and Alexander Holtz and Marco Rossi in between those two as well. So uh, uh, lots of love for Seth Jarvis. Uh, The next guy... Uh, to chat about is another WHLer, and just outside your top 10, Braden Schneider comes in at number 11. And yes, most people have him as a first-rounder too, but not that high. Uh, why does he stand out for you and for HockeyProspect.com? Uh, again, he fits that curve. So we thought that last season, 
he wasn't as quick as he is this season. He's not as fast. He's not as explosive. So he certainly gained more power in his game this season. And that really helped him in, in the second half of this season here as well. He went from making more errors and more mistakes in his own end and mismanaging his gap a little bit and not having that transitional quickness that we were looking for to the degree necessary where we could rank him where we have him now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over the course of the season, we thought his development in terms of his power and physically growing into his body uh, took off. And that allowed him to really show what he could do uh, theoretically against men and men as well. So when it comes to one-on-one defensive coverage, we consider Caden Gooley to be arguably probably the top, top defenseman in this class at that. But then Schneider doesn't like far behind that. Now, where Schneider has Gooley beat is in the transition game and his hockey sense. And we think that holds for not only Caden Gooley, but Jamie Drysdale as well. We think that Brayden Schneider uh, is just a better, smarter player than both of them. And that really does speak to Schneider because Jamie Drysdale is a very intelligent player. But Schneider has a tremendous amount of poise in his own end. And that's the first thing that we really hone in on is the poise with the puck trying to come out of their own end. Because if they can't retrieve pucks and then transition up the ice, they're not going to make it. In Schneider's case, we think that he's the most versatile in that ability. Um, now, that said, when, when I say the most, I mean, Jamie's right there with him. Jamie still has the first pass. He can absolutely transition. He's a fantastic skater, too. But we really, really like Braden Schneider's poise with the puck. The way that he slows down at the right time to readjust his lanes coming out of his own end or transitioning through the neutral zone, we really think that there's some real, real uh, potential in, in that style of him. And I think maybe one of the most important things we factor in with Braden Schneider, which is He's kind of almost a quote-unquote dying prospect in the sense that people think, oh, he's a shutdown guy. There's not a lot of value. We don't think that at all. We think he can become an excellent transitional puck mover who can play at both ends of the ice. He's just, he's just raw when it comes to his offensive game, but the tools are there. The hockey sense is there. The skating ability is there. It's all about bringing it together so he knows how to move laterally across the offensive line correctly and at a higher rate than he currently does, and then choosing when to, to shoot and pass at the correct times. But the, the, the foundation is there for Braden Schneider to, to be extremely, extremely effective at the NHL level, and that's what we look for with defensemen. It's all about efficiency. It, it doesn't have to be flashy. It's just about efficiency, and that's what Schneider brings to the table. Now, I like Schneider a lot as well. If I was going to play devil's advocate for a second, I'll just say he missed last year's draft by, what, five, six days. Does that give him an advantage this year to dominate because he's been in the league now three years? How, how do you factor that in? Well, it's, it's, it's a good point. I mean, I think, I think my counter-argument would be the following. It didn't, it didn't stop Brady Kachuk from, from being what he is now, right? Like a lot of people uh, looked at Brady Kachuk in 2018 and were like, hey, he's old. He, you know, he's older. He's, he's already physically mature. He is what he is. And now people are saying, well, that's not so much the case. There's a lot there. Um, Jack Quinn's very old for this draft. Marco Rossi's very old for this draft. In fact, this draft is, there's a lot of late birthdays in this draft. It's, it's, it's interesting how many late birthdays there are at the top of this class. I think Quentin Byfield is the exception to this rule in this class in terms of top end talent that's very young. Um, that said, it does matter. Um, the most important aspect that it matters though is the maturity of the player. Uh, to be honest with you, Shires always had the maturity. It was just the physical growth of, that we wanted to see. And that, that only took place in the second half of the season, we really felt, or towards the second half of the year. So you're right in saying that if, say, theoretically, that he was 
uh, you know, like it's September 8th birthday and he was available in the 2019 draft. He would have gone later for sure, but mm-hmm. whichever team snagged him would be uh, very happy with the rewards if they were if they were to look at him in his plus one season now. Fair enough. Uh, Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com, my guest representing that group uh, here on uh, the Season 15 finale for the Pipeline Show. Uh, let's go to, uh, well, the, you, when you were describing uh, Seth Jarvis having that breakout second half uh, season for him, that describes the next guy on your list uh, completely, uh, Tristan Robbins of the Saskatoon Blades, who everybody seems to like again, but second, maybe early third round for a lot of people. You guys have him inside the top 15 overall, uh, so you guys are big fans of Tristan Robbins. Yeah, we're huge fans of this of this player. Uh, he, again, with the whole development curve, he was the, the top top end of the, the development spectrum here. Uh, he had over 50 points in his final like 33 games, I think, something along those lines or close to that. Uh, I, I don't think there was a player that was more dominant in their second half than Tristan Robbins. And really what happened with this player is when we watched him, we kept trying to find weaknesses, and then we just started to realize there was none. And that's really kind of the hallmark of this player for us. He's exceptionally well-rounded, and we just saw a very dominant player in the second half that we believe projects to be kind of like a Victor Arvidsson or a Brendan Gallagher. So a player that can agitate but be extremely competitive, use their motor to their advantage, and make space for their teammates. He's one of those types of players that can damage a team with his offensive gifts, but can also make his teammates better. And we just we love how well-rounded he is. And he's, again, very much like Seth Jarvis in the mental structure room, where he's about 5'10", 5'11", about buck 80. But don't tell him that because he plays 6'2", 200. He's never afraid to get into heavy traffic. He's extremely competitive when it comes to physically engaging. We've seen him, one of the best hits we saw this season was a reverse check by him, where he stood up a player twice his size and knocked him to the ice. Mm-hmm. And it just showed his base and, and his strength. And uh, we've even seen him out-compete against Caden Gooley on the boards. Just just being able to shoulder-check Gooley off the puck, take it off of him behind the net. And that's very important to us because we do project you Caden Gooley and Braden Schneider as NHLers. So that's that will be his competition as he has, hits the NHL. And so to be able to just, with his size, go up against that type of player uh, effectively now and in the future will be very important for his skill uh, and, and game to translate. Yeah, 33 goals, 73 points for uh, Robbins this year. And a real good kid, too, just uh, uh, personality-wise and uh, character-wise. He's the one that a lot of people like uh, for sure. Uh, all right, let's go to three guys. Uh, none of them really have been talked about on this show, so I'm interested to to learn more about. Let's start with uh, Zade Wisdom, who uh, is a forward with the uh, Kingston Frontenacs out of the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, Brad, tell me all about him. Very interesting prospect, very interesting player. Um, I think the best way to characterize Zade is that he's a new age power forward, meaning he's not going to always physically engage but he's he's got that he's got that uh, build to him that very thick build that you look for that can take punishment can lay a hit when he needs to can weigh heavy on his opposition even though that's in its infancy right now we do believe that that's coming we we saw it over the course of the season he was developing it um, that's very important for us because when we say weighing heavy against opposing players that means they're draining the opposing team and that is exceptionally important in playoff hockey. Okay, if there's anything you look at at our list, we look for players that can play playoff hockey because that's what this is all about. It's all about winning cups. It's not about highlight reels or anything like that. So that's one of the reasons we are aggressive when it comes to certain players. Um, 
player types, and Zade Wisdom fits that player type where he's got that heavy game uh, that he can develop. He's a power forward. He's not afraid of getting to soft ice areas. He's competitive. Now, with Zade's case, he's a bit further down our list because it wasn't as consistent as it was in Robbins and in Jarvis's game. Where Robbins and Jarvis became remarkably consistent towards the second half, Zade still is 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 learning that process of how he can take over games or be a complementary piece, um, which we think he will be. He's not he's not going to be a primary player type of dictator type of player on the ice where Robbins and and uh, Jarvis we both believe can really drive play at the next level. Zade can do that in spurts, we think, but not as often. He's going to have to be more complementary. And uh, that's completely fine. And, and you know, NHL teams need a complementary pieces to their stars. And we think Dade can fit that. You know, his, his, his skill level uh, from last season to this season, we would argue is the most improved out of any players. He's just improved so much with his puck handling and his shooting ability. You know, he can, he can flash his hands, drag the puck around a player, seamlessly transition into his release, and be able to basically shoot the puck like a high-end shooter uh, some of the other high-end shooters in this class. And uh, that showed on the statue. He scored over 30 goals this season. Uh, he's, I mean, his point production was just, if you looked at it from last year to this year, it's yeah. one of the best in terms of rates. Next to Dmitry Ryshevsky, I believe it is the best. So it's, uh, that speaks volumes to Zaid and just in terms of the, where he's going. And, and we, just, we just love his, uh, his, his type of game and the style of player that he is. When you go from three goals to 29 goals, uh, that's eye-popping uh, improvement in uh, production uh, does that speak to maybe how little he may have been used last year compared to now uh, better opportunities more opportunities and better line mates maybe this year too uh, line mates is a certainly a factor i mean he's playing with shane white oh, and, I mean, for for casual audience members shane white's going to go really high in the 2022 draft so yeah shane white's uh, an exceptional talent but that said one of the reasons we did keep Zay high on our list was because we didn't feel that he was a byproduct of Shane Wright. We felt he was a compliment to Shane Wright. And that's a very important distinction mm-hmm. because Martin Kromiak to us was a byproduct of that line. We thought Martin Kromiak was more a byproduct of what Zade Wisdom and Shane Wright were doing, where we thought Zade Wisdom allowed Shane Wright the space necessary to get that release off and, and score. And that's, that's how we kind of look at, at Zade and what we really think will translate for him. Brad, when we talk about uh, big jumps in production from one season to the next, we can say the same about Emil Einemann, uh, who is a, uh, a forward uh, in uh, Sweden with Alexand. He he goes from, what do you have, five points last year in 27 games to 41 points this year. 26 of those were goals in 29 games. That's a massive jump forward for him as well. Not somebody that whose name has come up much on this show, so uh, educate myself and my audience on Emil Heinemann. Yeah, very, very interesting prospect. Again, he, he's been developed in Lexington's system, as you just mentioned. Um, last season, when we, when we evaluated him, we felt the biggest, um, change from last season to this season would be how much more effective he was at finding soft ice to get off his, his shot and how much more effective he was at pressuring opponents off the puck so he could be dangerous on the forecheck. And the reason that he did, made that adjustment was very simple. It was physical maturity. He just became a, a far more powerful player. Mm. And I, when I say power, I'm not referring to strength. 
Okay, strength for us is is basically, you know, if you, you're trying to gain leverage on an opponent and and press down on their stick and hold them in the position along the boards, and it's static, right? Strength is static. When we say power, we're talking about movement. We're talking about fast twitch, uh, explosive response out of the player. And that's what separates Mill Heineman from a lot of these other players in this draft. He's one of the most powerful players. His skating is extremely, extremely explosive. He's a hard, hard and heavy hitter, and his release is extremely fast because he's a quick twitch player. If you look at his body mechanics between his, his footwork, his hip rotation, his core strength and his shoulder rotation in the shot, it's extremely high end. And that's why he, he scored 26 goals and 29 points at the super level. Um, now, if you looked at him in the SHL, he did get a cup of coffee up there and had 11, 11 games with two assists. Yeah. We really liked what we saw there as well. And we just felt like his game was already translating and he's just starting on tap, whatever he's going to become. And when we say whatever, I mean, we're really talking about another modern day power forward, but more not, not to be mistaken for Zade wisdom type. Zade, Zade doesn't always know how to use his frame. Emil Heineman works like a freight train. When Emil Heineman sees a defenseman, he'll go through the defenseman if he has to. And we like that. We like that approach. It's, it's rare to find these types of players and they're very important. Um, he's, he's got the frame necessary to, he's 6'1", 185, 190 pounds. So he's got the build to do it against men and he has the skill level to be a very good complimentary piece. He's not going to drive a line. He's not a high, high end playmaker. Okay. But he does, he can absolutely make plays. He has very good hockey sense and he knows how to find soft ice to receive passes and put it in the back of the net. So there, there's a lot to like about Emil Heineman. And he really did come out of nowhere. You know, it's, it's very interesting to see just going from, you know, five points, as you said, to 41 points in a season, it, it, it really does speak volumes to just his growth rate. All right, one more guy on this side of the sheet to uh, talk about, and that's Jan Kuznetsov, uh, second year in North America for this Russian, uh, played in the USHL uh, last season, but uh, this past year, uh, with the uh, Connecticut Huskies in the NCAA, where he had 11 points as a freshman, big defenseman, what is he, 6'3", 6'4", and 200-ish pounds, so physically he's already mature. Uh, what can you tell me about him on the ice? Well, as you just mentioned, the physical maturity of the player. 6'4", 200 pounds with good mobility. You know, that's, that's, if you can find that, that's, if that's the base of a player, that's a good sign. And what's really good for Jan Kuznetsov is that it complements his hockey sense. He's not, he's not a dumb defender by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, he, he understands how to, he understands how to be efficient within his game, meaning he doesn't overextend himself, put himself out of position, run himself out of gas where he can't defend properly when they're when he's uh, jammed in his own end for an extended period. He's very good at managing himself, which we look for when it comes to a bigger, bigger player because they need to be conditioned in order to be effective. And so we felt that Jan Kuznetsov did a really good job over the season of displaying that. We also feel that there's untapped upside for this player as well. Uh, dating back to the U17s when we first uh, saw him, we really thought that there was some offensive upside there. He just, when he was in the USHL last season and in the NCAA this season, he just really didn't get a lot of opportunity uh, on his respective teams to be able to uh, show his offensive game. Mm -hmm. But this is a guy who understands how to get in the soft ice. 
He knows when to pinch effectively. He manages his risk at the line effectively, meaning when he tries to drive down the wings to, to become something in the offensive end, he doesn't leave his teammates out to dry. He does it at the right times, which is very important. Uh, the biggest thing for him is honestly it's a mental one, which is I think he's, he's a, a player that thinks defense first. So it's all about trying to get that balance now where it's like I, 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 we want to see him contribute more than he currently is because we believe he has the tools to do it. So if he can develop more of an offensive skill set, which we believe he can, then he's going to be a very, very useful player for a team. You know, he, ha- he has the ability to break out of the own end too. So it's yeah. very important for him to, to have the, those abilities, and he has them. It'll be interesting to see where he goes in the draft uh, for sure. Uh, all right, I've asked everybody to give me one player that it's not that you don't like the player, but if he gets taken before, you know, if you were a team at the draft and he's somebody else right before you took him, you'd be – Okay, that means somebody I like better just moved down to me. Uh, and for you, that player is Jeremy Poirier, the uh, defenseman with the uh, St. John Sea Dogs. Um, tell me why this is a guy that uh, maybe you haven't warmed up to as much as others. Yeah, I mean, if you look at who we talked about, I mean, I'm hyping up Braden Schneider here. I'm, I'm talking about Yank Kuznetsov, who has mostly shut down elements right now. And here I am. Uh, Telling you I'm not a big fan of Corey. I, I look like I haven't watched hockey in about 10 years from an average viewer, I think, with that, uh, with that description. But th- the main thing you have to realize with an offensive defenseman like Jeremy Poirier, he's very, he's a dynamic offensive talent. And he, I think he averaged over four shots on goal per game for the Sea Dogs, which is remarkable in a draft season to average that. Um, so there is a tremendous amount of offensive upside. The problem is, if you're going to bring out an offensive upside to the NHL level, you have to be responsible and you have to be able to, to be trusted by your coaching staff to get the minutes necessary for the offensive talent to flourish. That is where Jeremy Poirier has a lot, and I mean a lot of development to do. He's gifted at putting the maximum effort to try to generate for his own team when he's in the offensive zone. Uh, offensive zone. When you're in the neutral zone, the defensive end with, with Poirier here, his game basically breaks down. He doesn't understand how to defend off the rush. He mismanages his gap very consistently. And the biggest problem we really have here is his, just his overall effort level in his own end. Now, when you're a 17-year-old kid and you're you know, 5'11", we don't expect you to win every board battle. We don't expect you to be able to compete and race and win every loose pop battle with his skating ability. His skating, we've, we've seen it characterized as excellent an elite, I'll be honest with you, we don't think it's that at all. Uh, his, his stride is inefficient. It, you know, one of the things we always look for when it comes to skating ability is how effortless the stride looks. Does it look weightless? How much energy does he have to use? How much of his power does he have to use in order to get going? In Poirier's case, he has to use a lot of his gas tank to get up and down the ice, and it just speaks to the inefficiency of his stride. So we, we really don't agree with this whole elite transitional puck moving uh, ability that people are discussing, but um, going back to the, the effort level in his own end, um, despite the skating, he just he doesn't have. He, he needs to basically redesign his mentality on the ice in order to be able to translate right now. Now, you can't teach what he brings, right? So there's definitely value there when you're on a draft board. That said. We all, as scouts, we always have to manage risk too. We always have to say, what are the chances that this player actually lives up to this talent level based off of where it currently is? 
So you have to take in the way we look at this is the more variables you need to consider for the player to translate, the further we usually move them down a list because it's just the more unlikely, the more improbable that it will happen. In Poirier's case, there is no defenseman in this class that needs to fix more of his game off the puck than he does in order for his offensive gifts to flourish at the next level. And that is why we have Poirier way further back than, than most lists you'll see out there in the general public. You know, it's all, it's all about risk reward. And we just think that the, there is a, a great reward there, but the risk is, is nowhere near a first or second round player to us. Excellent breakdown. I really appreciate uh, you going in depth like that on Jeremy Poirier. Brad, as always, appreciate your time. The Black Book is, uh, has been available now for a while. People can get that at Amazon. Go through HockeyProspect.com as well. Thanks for your time, man. Enjoy the rest of the summer. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Dee. I look forward to speaking with you soon. That was Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com, and uh, they, they're really aggressive on uh, some WHLers, which I wasn't expecting with their final rankings. But uh, Seth Jarvis in the top 10, Braden Schneider ranked 11, Tristan Robbins all the way up at number 13. I like it. It's aggressive. You pinpoint a guy that you like, and... Uh, you go get them. And that's why on draft day, there's always some surprises. And that's, you know, if HockeyProspect.com was drafting 15th, they're taking Tristan Robbins because uh, he's their 13th ranked player. And there'd be a lot of other teams that say, wow, we could have got him. We we had him in the second round or the third round or wherever they had him. But that would be the reaction from a lot of people. That's uh, That's ballsy and I like it. I respect that a lot. All right, from HockeyProspect.com, we go to Sportsnet, and that means Sam Cosentino uh, back on the Pipeline show with his six personal favorites, and one guy he thinks is maybe a bit overrated. That's next here on the Pipeline show. Steal by Ryan Suzuki. Flipped it up, center ice. Here's Cole Perfetti. What a chance to win the game. Perfetti, backhand. He scores! Cole Perfetti wins it in overtime on a breakaway. Hey, it's Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit, and you're listening to the Pipeline show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. That's right. Now, say my name. With Gee Flaming. You're goddamn right. And we're back on the Pipeline Show. Let's continue on with the uh, season finale of Season 15 here on the Pipeline Show. And uh, we get to uh, bring back a personal favorite, one of the best guys to get on the uh, show, especially anytime you want to talk NHL draft, Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet. Uh, Sammy, welcome back. How are you? Happy 15th. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I might have been a year winner. 
because this is my 15th year at Sportsnet. Yep. So, uh, yeah, congratulations. 15 oh. years, man. Time flies, eh? Well, and this is the end of 15 in a couple of weeks, starting season 16. Yeah. So all that means is we're both getting old. That's all. <laughs> hey, by the way, are you in the bubble right now? No. Yeah, I'm in the bubble out in the country. <laughs> I've been in a bubble for about four months now. <laughs> that's, that's all right. Are, are you? Do you like, are you heading in? No, uh, it doesn't, doesn't look to be that way. I mean, things can change in a hurry. Um, but it doesn't, as it stands, as we're currently talking today, no. Okay. But, but I do, I am holding out some hope that there might be, uh, something that comes along here last minute. We'll see if that happens. Uh, of course, Sportsnet's doing all the games based out of Edmonton though. So it, you, like if they invited you to, to, uh, to participate, would you be coming out here? No. It would, it would be definitely a Toronto thing. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, again, it's it's all up in the air. I don't want to say too much because it's not likely to happen, and I don't want to say too much and jinx it in case it does happen. Fair enough. <laughs> I do that all the time too. Uh, like I am planning on having Sam on, but I don't want to jinx it because he's a big shot. And uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's get to it. And uh, all my guests this week, I'm asking uh, them to give me six guys that are sort of uh, personal favorites of theirs. Something uh, you know, a player. If, if you were the head scout of an NHL team, you would do your darndest to try to find a way to. Uh, have your club pick them at some point in the draft, whether it's first round or seventh round, doesn't matter. Uh, and then one guy that's kind of on the opposite side of the ledger where he might get taken before you're prepared to, and that just means somebody slides down to you by one spot, and that's a good thing. Doesn't mean you don't like the player at all, uh, but maybe don't have the same amount of value for him as somebody else does. Uh, let's start at the top of your uh, your personal wish list and Wow, you're going out on out on a limb for this one, Sam. Uh, the number one ranked player in the draft, Alexi Lafreniere. Uh, I don't think there's a chance he's sliding past that number one spot. No, I don't think so. Uh, like, pretty cool for me just to be able to watch this guy grow up. You know, with his late birthday and and having the opportunity to to watch him for two and a half years, I guess, or close to three full full seasons, and then watching his maturity as he went from you know a youngster. Um, on Canada's world junior team and a guy who wasn't really played very much, who was singled out at, at one point to a guy who, who, you know, gets hurt and comes back and ends up being a star of, of the tournament essentially a year later. So it's been so fun to watch his progression, not just in, in Ramuski, but internationally as well. Uh, and I've really come to like his game, how he's added layers to his game over the three years that I've had the opportunity to watch him. And, and here we are waiting for that, for that date. Uh, to finally happen where, um, you know, the the placeholder gets to go up there and say, hey, he, here's our pick. Uh, and we know that date now is, uh, what, October 9th and 10th, uh, the draft this year, at least uh, scheduled for now. Uh, do we yeah. know anything about plans? Uh, <laughs> is it a big Zoom party or how are we, do you know what they're doing? Well, I think, you know, with the indication that it's the 9th and the 10th, it tells me a little bit of something. Um, you know, again, this is just me talking out loud and no inside information, but maybe they're planning something a little bit bigger and a little bit more grandiose than what we thought was going to happen, um, you know, on, on June 26th, maybe not to the extent of, of Montreal having the big, the big thing, but, um, I could, I could see, um, you know, them trying to find a, a central location, depending on what's happening and who's playing where, where maybe they bring in the first round guys or the top 50 picks uh, that are all potential first rounders and have them in an area where, you know, you can spread out with the families and, and give the players 
some semblance of what the, the typical draft experience is like. I mean, you'd hate to see these guys wait this long and, and, and be robbed of, of that experience. It's, it's a once in a lifetime thing. So mm-hmm. maybe the two day thing is something that happens semi live or with, um, uh, you know, fewer number of people in a smaller area that maybe doesn't have quite the, you know, quite the infections. And again, it's such a long time. Who knows what's going to happen between now and then, but maybe there is some sort of plan to, to allow those guys to have that experience. Um, I, I hope that's the case because, uh, you know, obviously I'd like to be a part of that. I think I'd be a part of that for sports that, um, and, and it would be great for the kids to, to be able to at least get a, a little bit of that experience. Yeah, for sure. I felt bad because a lot of guys, well, they missed out on the combine experience and all of those types of memories yeah. that, you know, even 20 years from now, they'll look back on and still, still remember what it was like for them. So, uh, yeah, tough for, tough for those guys. Lots of uncertainty, except that Lafreniere is going to go number one. I think everybody uh, is uh, in agreement with that. Now, the next guy on your list uh, is uh, Cole Perfetti. Uh, why is this guy somebody that you like maybe more than a lot of other people? Well, just a personal favorite. You know, back in January, we uh, had the great fortune of, you know, we had a game in Windsor. There was the, the BioSteel All-American game. And then um, a day surrounding that, I was able to go and spend with Cole. So he's someone uh, that I've gotten to know going back to his minor midget days here, playing in the, in the Greater Toronto Hockey League, um, you know, was going to be a star was a little bit of a surprise when he ended up signing with Saginaw and good on Dave Drinkle and the ownership there to, to make that happen because I think he was in a situation where, um, you know, there were some rumors that maybe he might not go to Saginaw, so on and so forth. But I think it's turned out to be the, the greatest thing that's happened to him. Um, but just getting to know the young man, you know, he just comes at life with a pro mentality um, and then watching him on ice. You look at uh, the great performance that he had as a rookie with 37 goals and, you know, ends up scoring goals internationally, comes back and backs that up, gets snubbed at the World Juniors. Snubbed is a bit of a strong word, but, you know, goes to the camp there, doesn't really get a good look, goes back and then lights it up in the second half for Saginaw and, uh, you know, finishes second in Marco Rossi in OHL scoring. So I really like the fact that, um, you know, he's faced a bit of adversity. He's overcome that. Um, you know, he's been a key guy for his Saginaw team, even going back uh, as a 16 year old. And once again, this year, um, and now the fact that, uh, you know, he's had some time to, to grow and to strengthen himself, work on his skating a little bit. I think he's going to surprise a few people with where he ends up going, but more so gee, that he becomes a personal favorite of mine, just, just for having the opportunity to get to know the young man personally. And I think that's really going to sell a lot of teams the teams that have had the opportunity to kind of sit down and, and hunker down on what this guy's all about as a person. All right, well, let's get to uh, some of the guys that uh, maybe aren't necessarily locks to be first-round guys, but if they were, you perhaps wouldn't blink uh, too much about that, and uh, maybe we'll go to Ozzy Weisblatt, great name, uh, of the uh, Prince Albert Raiders, and uh, there's lots to like about Ozzy, but uh, for you, uh, what stands out? Well, it's just the, the tenacious type of play, the energy, and, you know, like, Sitting here in Toronto, there's been a lot of talk about uh, Nick Robertson, mm-hmm. who was their second-round pick. Peterborough Peets, you know, 50-goal scorer this year in, in the Ontario Hockey League and how much noise he's made at, at Toronto's camp. And I think Ozzy Weisblatt uh, approaches the game in a similar fashion. A smaller guy, a bit of an underdog guy, um, you know, all of a sudden he, he opens your eyes with just how hard he is uh, on pucks and, and how strong he is, maybe underrated part of his game. 
but as a smaller underdog type guy, that's why I like his story. And of course, um, you know, if you're not familiar with, uh, with the Weisblatt family story, I suggest you, you search it on, on sportsnet.ca. They've done a wonderful piece on his, on his family and how all the boys, uh, you know, grew up playing hockey and how his, uh, the sacrifices his mother had to make, uh, especially uh, being deaf and uh, trying to navigate all the challenges that come along with that, navigate the challenges of essentially being, uh, you know, a single mom to, to hockey playing boys is, is just, um, it's not easy. So I, I love the family story around this guy. And then when I look at him on ice ski, what uh, impresses me most is the fact that, you know, I had a great opportunity to watch him as a 16-year-old kind of play in the, in the back of the bus of Prince Albert's lineup, yet still be an effective player in that role. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back a year later and, and you know, ups his game, um, you know, it shows more prominence in his game. And I think the one thing that, that goes along with, with Wiseblatt is the fact that there's some rawness to him. I mean, here's a guy that, uh, you know, his family had to do everything they could just to afford him to play the game. And that uh, didn't mean a ton of extra training, whether it was shooting or skills or skating or all the stuff that's uh, afforded to many players. Um you know, these days that, that are on the path to, to the NHL. And I don't think, uh, you know, Ozzy's been afforded some of those same opportunities. So I think, do think that there's a rawness to him. Uh, but again, he's a player I've had the opportunity to watch a lot of and, and someone who impresses me both on ice and, and with his off-ice story. 25 goals and 70 points. He's got that motor that never quits. He's a tenacious guy. Only 36 penalty minutes kind of surprised me because he's in your face a lot, yeah. and yet he's not drawing penalties. Yeah, that's, that's the, that's the nice part of his game. You know, knows when to cross the line, knows when not to. Uh, but you know, he's that typical new age player who you want to play hard and you want to play fast and you want to play with speed and all those things. Um, and you want your guys to be in the forecheck and be in tenacious yet using all of those skills, uh, within the confines of the rules. And he's really shown the ability to do that. And I think. That speaks a lot to the system, you know, that he's played in for the last couple of years in Prince Albert under Mark Habscheid and, and the job that they've done there. Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet, former Blue Jays bat boy, my guest here uh, on the Pipeline Show. See, I go back and I listen to that every <laughs> once in a while because that was such a great story. Mm. Uh, Tristan Robbins uh, had a uh, monumental second half. Uh, there are few people who had a second half of the season like Robbins did. Unfortunately, the season got cut short. Uh, it looked like it was going to be Saskatoon and Edmonton in the playoffs, which would have been great for me personally to to watch more of him. But, uh, man, what a, uh, a second half of the year for Robbins, and he's a guy that's uh, on your personal favorite list. Tell me why. I, I don't know. I go back to last year, and, you know, we, we did a few games in that Saskatoon-Prince Albert playoff series, and it was awesome. And just watching him play, and, again, he was, being as a younger player, sort of at the back of the bus in Saskatoon's lineup, but he just kind of caught my eye. And every time I watched him, he seemed to get better and then had the opportunity to, to see him actually in, in Edmonton this year. And uh, we had the chance to interview him and, and sit down with a real personable young man, really kind of good character type of guy. You know, there's some there's some hockey bloodlines in the family. Um, but I, I love these kind of guys that I think if you go back a year ago, Gee, I don't even know if he was thinking about uh, the NHL path. I mean, I'm sure every kid dreams about it. But based on where he was, his numbers, um, you know, being overshadowed by some really good players in Saskatoon, that maybe this wasn't even, uh, um, you know, in the realm of possibilities for this player. And then this year he comes in and, you know, right shot guy, 180 pounds, plays with a little bite in his game, shoots the puck really well, um, and all of a sudden has that great second half. But 
I look at a guy too that uh, not as uh, only earned my respect, but that of National Hockey League Central Scouting. Um, you know, go back to the the midterm rankings. I think he was, you know, he's in right around that hundred mark. Um, maybe even further than that, maybe the hundred and fifty mark. Mm-hmm. And and the guy who vaulted himself inside the the top hundred. And I think that's really impressive to have that kind of impact where you see a guy jump, you know, 50 or 60 spots up the list based on just a couple of months worth of work. So uh, I have a great appreciation for that. I have a great appreciation for someone who, um, again, seems to kind of display that underdog story. Um, and again, um, for me, a lot of these situations have to deal with not just seeing a player on multiple occasions, but also having the opportunity to sit down for a few minutes and getting to know him as I did with Tristan and Edmonton earlier this year. And, and so he uh, quickly became one of my favorites. All right. Uh, let's go to a goaltender. Uh, the only goalie on uh, your hit list here is uh, Nico Dawes, but he's one of the top goalies available uh, for the draft this year. Uh, what in particular impresses you about him? Well, I look at this goalie class and I mean, Yaroslav Askarov is the guy that's, you know, it's going to be a first rounder and, and head over heels above the crowd. But, you know, the U.S. Uh, under-18 program was a couple of really good guys. Nico Dawes was bypassed, uh, you know, last year in the draft and, of course, comes out of nowhere to make Canada's World Junior Team, having never been a part of Hockey Canada's program of excellence before. And a lot of that had to do with the work he did in the offseason. I mean, here's a guy who, who lost 25 pounds. He, he rededicated himself knowing that the opportunity would exist for him in Guelph to, to be the number one guy and to play top-line minutes. And I think the experience at the Memorial Cup for him uh, in 2019 in Halifax with Guelph um, kind of opened his eyes. And, and I think he appreciated, like, hey, this is something that, that, that I'd really like to be a part of. Uh, and you're a part of it as a backup goaltender, but maybe not uh, to the same extent as you would be as a starter. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of lit the fire for him to go in and have the offseason that he did to allow him to come out and put up the numbers he did on a really surprising Guelph team, especially in the first half. Uh, and then, of course, the World Junior experience. It didn't go as, as planned, but, you know, a guy who exceeded all expectations by making the team uh, exceeded those expectations once again by being named the starter. And then, of course, we know how it, uh, how it all worked out when Joel Hofer took over. Canada won gold, but Dawes still received a, a gold medal as, as part of that, you know, part of that team. So, again, uh, another one of those underdog stories. And, you know, our experience goes back to last year at the Memorial Cup as well. And he knew he wasn't going to be playing a whole lot. So after one of the morning skates, he uh, he and his goalie coach, Ryan Daniels, uh, I asked him a little bit about this reverse VH thing. You know, I'm not a huge goalie guy. And so I got down to the bench area and, and Ryan, uh, Nico skated the net over to in front of the bench area. And he and Ryan Daniels explained what the reverse VH is to me. Hmm. So not only you know, educating me and something I didn't know about at a position I know so little about, but doing it at one of the most key times in his career, right in the midst of a Memorial Cup. So I have a great appreciation for Nico for, for taking the time to do that. Yeah, sounds like a character guy. After the World Junior Championship, how did he rebound once he got back to Guelph? Did he pick up kind of where he left off before leaving for uh, the, the tournament? Well, he was banged up a little bit, and so he, he missed a bit of time. Uh, but I think that uh, the book that he put together, at the first half of the year, and of course, making the World Juniors. Um, still good numbers once he got back into the lineup with Guelph. Not quite the same shining numbers he had previous to that, but I think he did enough in the first half with his size, with his dedication, um, with the calmness that he plays, uh, that say he's likely to be, you know, 
probably the second, maybe third goalie to go off the board this year. Uh, let's go to uh, the last guy on this uh, short list uh, for you is uh, Igor Sokolov, who uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, was passed over in uh, last year's draft, uh, then went out and had a pretty big year in the queue. And big is an understatement, 6'4", 6'4 and a half-ish, and 230, 240 pounds. That's a, a big hunk of meat on the ice. Uh, tell me about him as a player. Why do you think he got passed over last year, and where do you think he's going to go this year? Well, I think it was his skating. I don't think there's there's any question about that. I mean, the game's so fast these days, and you look at a guy who's able to score goals at an alarming rate in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, but that's because he's so much bigger and stronger than everybody else. Um, you know, of course, you have to have a good, accurate, hard shot that you can get off in 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 short amounts of time and in short spaces, and he can do those things. Uh, but the boots weren't up to snuff, so. He stuck around uh, Halifax uh, last summer, uh, made sure that he went and worked on his skating with Joe Plandowski um, and, and got that sorted out. So when he came back this year, I think, A, he was in better shape. B, he was a better skater, yet he didn't lose any of the goal-scoring touch that made him such a successful player uh, the year earlier in Cape Breton. I think one other thing that really helped this young man along was the fact that Jake Grimes came in as a coach and just offered an entirely different perspective than what he had had with Marc-Andre Dumont in the two years previous to that. <clears throat> and Sorry, and I think as part of that, it just kind of opened his eyes to thinking that, hey, maybe I can get back on the pro track here, and maybe I can be allowed to do some things that in the old system I wasn't allowed to do. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, going out there, being able to play a little bit more carefree, being able to make mistakes where he knew he was going to be able to get back out there in the next shift and not have to worry about it so much really helped elevate his game. It elevated his confidence uh, and quite a character uh, young man as well. We had the opportunity to spend some time with him over the last, um, you know, Canada Russia series and, and spoke at length with, with Jake Grimes about him and just how impressed uh, each of them were with one another, Jake with, with Igor and Igor, of course, with, with Jake. So I think it's a pretty cool story. Always like the draft players um, once they get into the you know maybe third round and beyond that are a bit older that I think have more certainty to them because they're more physically mature because they've faced the adversity of not having been drafted once or twice they've been to a camp they kind of know what it's all about and they can kind of hit the ground running once you draft them this time around and so I think he's going to be a guy um, that's uh, that's going to make some noise probably somewhere in that you know, in that third round range, maybe early into the fourth round. Uh, But again, another one of those really good scores, uh, uh, stories of a great goal scorer whose feet weren't up to snuff, whose feet are a lot better now, but still have a ways to go. All right, we'll watch for him. Kind of reminds me of uh, Alexi Protus maybe a little bit uh, and where he went in the draft last year, something along those lines. Yeah, I think that's, you know, a big guy. Scores goals, produces, puts up points. You worry about his feet, comes back. Has a monster year, exactly like Protus, um, and uh, yeah, I think that's a that's a real good comparison for me for sure. All right, now the guy that uh, maybe you don't like as much as others, and that's not to say you don't like him at all. But if he gets taken before your team is picking, that means somebody else moves down, and you're okay with that. Uh, that player for you uh, is Maverick Bork. Uh, tell me why. Twenty fourth uh, ranked player by National Hockey League Central Scouting. So when you include the European players. That puts him towards the end of the first round. Myself and a lot of other prognosticators had him cemented somewhere in that 23 to 28 range most of the season long. Mm-hmm. But I went back and, and just watched again and 
and, and watched him play and, and thought about some of the times that I saw him play. And they just seemed like a really vanilla player to me. Really good numbers in the, in the Quebec League last year in terms of rookie goal scores. Puts up good numbers again this year. Um, points per game. I think we're ninth in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. So that point production is there. But when I look at that, you know, at a player on a young Shawinigan team, he's been given a lot of opportunity as well, even as a 16-year-old. And, of course, this year as a 17-year-old. Um, the right shot thing is going to help him a little bit. Uh, do you project him uh, as a center at 5'10", 175 pounds? Potentially. Um, is there much room for growth in that frame? I think that's something that scouts would be concerned about a little bit. How much, uh, how much further, you know, how much bigger can he get? Mm-hmm. Um, and just watching this game, he just seemed vanilla to me. And again, we're, we're nitpicking here about a guy who's probably going to go anywhere from the 25 to 40 range. Right. Still a really good player. Um, but for me, it just seems that I think the first round is just a touch high for him. It wouldn't surprise me to see if he goes there. Uh, but probably just kind of on, just on look, just on, I don't know, just, just looking at the guy, he just looks like a second rounder to me. He doesn't look like a first rounder to me. And again, that's not to, um, you know, to take anything away from the player. He's had an outstanding couple of years in Shawinigan, was banged up towards the, you know, the second half of this year and unfortunately didn't get back uh, to be able to play because I think a couple of key things could have happened for him, um, you know, either under 18s or, or taking Shawinigan on a surprising run. Uh, through the Q playoffs, uh, never got the opportunity to do either of those things, and that likely hurt him. Yeah, I think that's fair. And uh, when you, you look at last year, he had 25 goals and 54 points, only added four goals to that mix. And, again, um, the season was cut short, so who knows? Maybe he would have got up to 40 or, or something, and then we, you know, he'd have a bit more of a uh, – uh, his his stat sheet would stand out a little bit more. But, um, I, listen, if he's there in the second round, I don't think it's a, a big slight on him, like you said. I think uh, at that point in the draft, quite honestly, there's probably 20 guys in that mix, right, between, you know, the uh, 25th pick and the and the 45th pick, something like that. I mean, it could be pretty scrambled up in that area. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, think I mis- mistakenly had him at 24. That was his midterm rank. So 22nd by NHL Central Scouting. And, again, once you add those the Europeans into the mix, it still puts them in the – yeah. You know, at the end of the first round and, and early into the second round. So I don't think he gets past 40, um, which is still, you know, pretty, pretty impressive stuff. And we've seen a lot of second rounds go on to have uh, lengthy and, and fruitful NHL careers. Excellent. Sam, as always, really appreciate your time. Great rundown on some of the, uh, your personal favorites. Uh, what's coming up next for you at Sportsnet? Well, just kind of hanging tough here for a little bit. I mean, August 10th is going to be a big day once they, uh, you know, they get back down to their 16 teams in the National Hockey League playoffs and they go for phase two of the draft lottery. I'm sure we'll be doing something on that. I, I would, I would love the opportunity to get into studio, even if uh, only for a couple of minutes, but we'll mm-hmm. see how that, how that uh, all plays itself out. It's more likely uh, done for me remotely here. Um, you know, just in order to, to follow safety protocols as someone who doesn't have to be in there on a nightly basis. And then it'll be preparing for, you know, October 9th and 10th. And, you know, obviously preparing for the start of the, of the CHL season in early October. I think that's a bit of a mirage, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I, I don't see that happening. Um, I mean, you know, I just look at Portland. Uh, you know, are you going to be able to play any games in Portland in October? Right. I just, I just don't see it happening. And that's just the starting point for me. But, uh, but anyways, um, I'm hopeful for it. Uh, definitely. Cause I, I want to get back to work. I want to get back in the rink. 
but I also, uh, you know, I'm very concerned about our players, our staff, our, our part-time people that are so supportive of, of the CHL across the 60 markets uh, here in North America. So I don't know. Um, so I, I, I guess, you know, to answer that question more directly, um, you know, the draft is, is going to be my focus here for now. All right, and with that in mind, once uh, this this is the last episode of uh, season fifteen, a couple weeks off, and then I'm back for season sixteen. There'll be about two months uh, of shows leading up to the draft. I hope I can call you. Yeah, right on. No, I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Thanks, Sambo. Take care. Okay, you take care. Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet, always uh, delivering the goods when he's uh, on our show. And if you missed the uh, episode where it was uh, almost an hour long conversation with Sam. And he told that story about how he was a bat boy for the Toronto Blue Jays. I made a joke about it earlier in this uh, that interview. Uh, but that was such a great story, man. And uh, if, you ha- if you haven't heard that uh, that interview, uh, you should go back and uh, check it out. It's a couple of months ago, but you can find it in the archives, no problem. All right, next on the Pipeline Show, J.D. Burke from Elite Prospects is going to join me. And that's a long segment as... Uh, J.D. actually gave me four or five guys that he thought were overrated, and we wanted to touch on all of them. Uh, so we're going to get six on the good and four or five on the uh, on the other side as well. That's next with J.D. Burke from Elite Prospects here on the Pipeline Show. Hi, it's Norris Seider from the Adler Mannheim of Germany. Zwei auf eins, Isis mit Seider und gemacht sein erstes Deal-Tor! 5-1, Mannheim! Moritz Seider. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. The troubled monk brew of the week has a real dark side to it. Tell us more, bud. A world award-winning brown ale, Open Road, ale that will have you asking yourself why you've avoided dark beers all these years. Roasty and delicious. Play with comparable Zidane Chara, dependable and solid, and not to be looked past. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer and get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Red Five standing by. We continue on with the season finale of season 15. We're talking with a, uh, a bunch of scouts about the 2020 draft and getting some of their personal favorites and uh, some of the guys on the other side of that uh, that ledger as well. Uh, next up, we're going to chat with J.D. Burke from Elite Prospects. Uh, J.D., welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How's things in B.C.? You know what? Things are going well. We're, uh, you know, we're having a relatively... And I, I suppose relatively really is the operative word here. Normal summer, uh, you know, case numbers are, are low since COVID kind of dictates every bit of discourse at this moment. And that's, you know, that's that's kind of made it a little bit easier here. And now that we've got hockey back on the TV, the Canucks are playing tonight. Uh, things are things are looking pretty good. You know, I, I can't complain. How are things over in Edmonton? Uh, well, the hockey is here, although nobody can go watch or anything. So it's pretty much the same as you. Everybody's watching it on TV uh, as well, so no, no real difference there. But uh, and it feels weird to me, uh, hockey in uh, late July, early August. But uh, the diehards will take it. No questions asked about that. Yeah, I consider myself among them. I, uh, I was so deeply skeptical of the league's ability to pull this off. But 
you know what? Full full credit to the NHL, right? I yeah. mean, zero positive tests in the last, I think it was a week span. Uh, you know, the, the games went off without a hitch yesterday. Um, you know, it, it looks like they're really handling this about as well as anybody could reasonably expect. And, you know, it's it's great. They've got the schedule set up in such a way that for, for people who are back at home or or what have you, they're going to be able to watch hockey literally all day, every day. And uh, you know what? Every day I'm more convinced that they're going to be able to to see this project through. And, you know, I mean, it's it's one of those things, right, where it's just uh, it's, it's good for the spirit to see hockey again, right? It yeah. really does help one uh, feel like everything's kind of returning to normal in at least some capacity. And, you know, the, the, la- the absence of fans is, of course, one thing that really catches your attention. But you know what, once you kind of get past that, it really feels like NHL hockey, you know, yeah. just garden variety, uh, garden variety stuff. And, and honestly, it's, uh, it's really great news. I, I think that they're going to deserve a lot of credit if they can see this through to completion. And, and really that's uh, a good sign for this league. We need all the good PR they can get. Yep. Knock on wood. Everything continues moving forward and, uh, without a hitch. And then, uh, eventually we get to, uh, a very delayed NHL draft as well, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I was asking all my guests for six guys that, if they were a team, they would try to somehow work their way into uh, picking these guys wherever they are in the draft. Uh, just some personal favorites. And uh, for you, J.D., and for Elite Prospects, uh, let's start with uh, a guy who played in the uh, USHL with the Chicago Steel. I know you saw him at, at the World Junior A Challenge as well. Uh, Brennan Brisson uh, makes your list. Tell me why. Yeah, I mean, I was so uh, skeptical of, of Brendan Brisson's game, and I, I had the opportunity to see him at uh, the USHL Fall Classic with the Chicago Steel. And, you know, to start the year, it really seemed like the, the hurdles that come with going from prep school where he was playing with Shattuck St. Mary's uh, to a much more structured defensive league, they really seemed to, to wreak, you know, a little bit of havoc on his game, his ability to produce, his ability to be creative, uh, but you know what? Every time I saw him after that, whether it was the World Junior A Challenge, whether it was his Chicago Steel tape from the second half of the season, uh, this is somebody who improved with every viewing. And and the, the skill really became undeniable at points, right? His ability to get a one-timer off from just about anywhere on the ice with his body in any position on the ice. I mean, he, he's going to be able to create an NHL career on the, the virtues of that one-timer alone, right? It's that good. But then you take into account some of the other tools, somebody who is uh, one of the elite problem solvers from this draft. And what I mean by that is, you know, you've got adaptable players who can uh, react to, to situations as they develop in front of them with, with defensive coverage and uh, playing through traffic and all that. But this is somebody who can break down a defense, uh, whether it's a tertiary or secondary variable, right? He's always got a way out that keeps possession within his team's grip. And and it's just when you have elite hockey sense, and I think Brendan Brisson really does, uh, that's going to take you far. That's going to take you far. And that's one of the skills that we really like to, to bet big on at elite prospects. So, I mean, it was really easy for us to, to just keep finding new parts of his game that we appreciated. Just the subtle skill that he he's built up over the years by practicing with the likes of Nathan McKinnon and and Sidney Crosby and having access to all these resources, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the less subtle things too, like that slap shot. I mean, he's he's going to be part of an excellent recruiting class uh, for the Michigan Wolverines as well. And you have to factor in the environment in which they're playing as part of their developmental arc. I think he couldn't be going to a better one, assuming there is hockey next year, of course. And 
Uh, one shouldn't take that for granted, certainly. But, uh, you know, if, if he does get to play with Michigan at some point, it's going to be a hell of an environment in which he can develop, you know, with Thomas Bordalo and Owen Power, and, uh, you know, everyone else, right? It's, it's going to be a great place for him to hone his craft. And really, I think he's somebody who has number one center outside. I think, you know, ultimately, if you're, if you're going to bet on these players and you're looking towards probability rather than upside, I'd probably land somewhere on a middle six center, maybe like a, a second liner. But mm-hmm. you know what? I, like I said earlier, the one thing you want to bet on is hockey sense. And whatever your version of that is, Brendan Brisson has it. And it's going to take him really far in his NHL career. 24 goals this year in, in 45 games, 59 points. So well past the point per game uh, mark. Now, the Chicago Steel were a pretty dominant team in that league. Do you look at that at all and say, okay, well, he's got a ton of really good players who also put up big numbers. Uh, do you have to factor that in as a positive or a negative? I mean, it takes skill to play with skill and to make that skill even better. How do you weigh that at all? Yeah, I'm, I'm up a few different minds on this one, right? Because that's, that's absolutely valuable context. And the more information, the better. Uh, I mean, the, the Chicago Steel were the highest scoring team in the entire USHL. And, and it wasn't just Brendan Brisson. It was Sean Farrell. It was Sam Colangelo. It was Matthew Saint Fowl. Uh, up and down the list, right? This team was just loaded with offensive talent. Uh, you know, another way to look at that, though, is if you watched a lot of Chicago Steel tape, you would notice that these games were over uh, in many instances by about the 35-minute mark through the hockey game. Uh, and so, you know, on the one hand, yes, it's a fortuitous environment and one in which a player like him will thrive, certainly. I'm not going to shy away from that. But then there is also the, the aspect of diminishing returns. How much more could he have produced in this environment, right? I mean, uh, when it's 5 nothing by, by halfway through the game, a lot of teams take their foot off the gas. Mm-hmm. And, and this happens at every level of play, right? Uh, you know, so that's another thing to consider for me as well. And, and having seen a lot of Chicago Steel tape, uh, that really was the case. A lot of these games were over just as soon as they started. Uh, another factor to, to take into account is when you break down some of the scoring networks, you look at some of his underlying data, uh, the evidence just continues to mount that yeah, while the environment itself, like the collection, the sum of those parts is truly overwhelmingly strong offensively, uh, it's, it's Brisson who's driving that bus. And in a lot of instances, right? And, uh, you know, that for me helped kind of guide the way that I, I reviewed that information. And and ultimately, the more you, you kind of peel the layers off of this onion, just the clearer it became that he was uh, the, the driving force for that team. And that's why he, he led them in points. Uh, you know, it's... It's it's really that simple. I mean, uh, you know, they were they were winning games five nothing halfway through, and he was such a big part of that. So yes, it's valuable context, but nothing that kind of really uh, dampened our view on Brisson as a prospect. Oh, yeah, I like him a lot. Fourteenth overall on the uh, elite prospects uh, uh, draft rankings. Uh, well, let's go to another uh, guy this time out of the WHL. Caden Gooley of the Prince Albert Raiders, big defenseman, uh, comes in at. Number 21 on the Elite Prospects uh, ranking. Uh, what do you like? Or do you have any concerns? Give us a, your overall sense of Caden Gooley. Yeah, you know what? If I had my way, and it, this is proof that I am truly a benevolent dictator, if ever there was one, uh, we'd, we'd have Caden Gooley a bit higher. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of his game. He, he kind of won me over. Uh, you know, I went all the way to uh, the Czech Republic for the Holinka Gretzky. And, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that that Caden Gooley is a better defensive prospect in any capacity than Jamie Drysdale. 
but he outplayed him in some of those games. He absolutely outplayed Jamie Drysdale in that tournament in spots. And and from that moment onward, you know, I talked to some scouts and I was like, "What well, what's happening here? Because the ghoulie we knew from last year uh, just did not play this well. And, and you know, some of those issues uh, from his, his draft minus one year, things like decision making, uh, particularly in transition. I mean, those are still things that he's working on, but he's brought so much to the table elsewhere that it's become less of an issue. And, and, you know, I, I think that it's, it's of course kind of interesting because I'm arguing against myself almost, right? Like I talk about how Brandon Brisson, uh, his elite hockey sense was a contributing factor for ranking so highly with elite prospects. You know, I don't think anybody is going to say that, that Caden Gooley is, is anywhere in that tier for hockey sense, but you know where he really dominates is physically. And, and this is a player who has the ability to disrupt a cycle. Uh, on a moment's notice, right? He's so disruptive in the defensive zone, and he's got some really great habits as well, too. Here's the the kind of feather in his cap if you're you're Caden Gooley, right? And and I know we were talking about hockey sense, and certainly that would be not a strong selling point in his favor. I'm not gonna, you know, try and, and disabuse anyone of that notion, but there are some things he does defensively that are really to his credit and really speak to a, a level of maturity that you don't often see with defensemen at this age. And, you know, for us, one of those things is he skates through passes. Uh, so he closes on the, the receiving uh, teammate or, or the receiving opposition member uh, as the puck lands on their stick. Uh, he skates through shots, meaning as, as an opposition player is loading up to get off a wrist shot or a slap shot, uh, he's he's closing in on them and take away taking away space, uh, you know. And then there are other things he does really well. Like he's so aggressive in the neutral zone. Uh, he closes with speed and conviction and physical force. Uh, you know, he really to me he brings a lot of what you want from kind of a modern defensive defenseman almost. And you know, to to that point, I don't think we're going to see Caden Gooley develop into anything of a point getter at the NHL level, you know, maybe a, a modest 25 to 30 at his height, but hmm. I, I think he's going to have great transitional value. I think he's going to bring a lot in the defensive zone and, and those types of players, I mean, you need them even in the modern game, right? And if they can skate as well as Caden Gooley, and certainly there are very few who can skate better than him in this draft class, uh, you're going to bring value everywhere in the ice, right? And we even saw him take some steps forward this year. Uh, from the offensive zone. He does a great job of getting pucks through traffic, getting pucks on net. I mean, I, I don't know if he's got top pairing upside, but I could see a, a scenario where he's a reliable 3-4, and if you can get that type of player inside the top 20, I think you're laughing all the way to the bank. So, you know, I'm a bit higher on Gooley than our ranking might indicate, and those are some of the reasons why. Did you get a chance to watch his brother when he was in the WHL? And if you did, do you see comparables between the two? And should we maybe expect Caden to be like Brendan at the uh, at the next level? I mean, there there are certainly moments where you can see the comparison, and I I think it's particularly as a skater, right? And and you know sometimes you watch him dart from one end of the ice to the next and and skate through four defenders in the process, right? And you go, okay, yeah, he's a ghoulie. Uh, but but he's got such a, a mean streak and a competitiveness and and even I would argue a skill level that that Brendan didn't bring to the table right and uh, you know that's that's not to take away from Brendan I think he might uh, be able to develop into an NHLer a full full time NHLer in some capacity but I do think that Caden is uh, is another tier above him as a prospect and uh, you know frankly I think he's he's 
distinguished himself in every regard except for skating. And well, that's just because there isn't much room to, to improve there, right? The the rule of diminishing returns a little bit uh, again when it uh, comes to the skating within the Gooley family, right? So, you know, I, I see where people might get that comparison from. It's it's certainly the obvious one to make given the the last name, but you're getting a much better player in Caden Gooley as far as I'm concerned. J.D. Burke from Elite Prospects, my guest, looking at some of his personal favorites for the draft, and uh, we'll get to some other guys that he might feel are uh, a touch overrated as well. Uh, let's go to, well, hey, it's a, it's a great year for the Germans. Uh, J.J. Paterka, who played in uh, Munich this past year, uh, you have him ranked uh, number 24. It's not a guy we've uh, talked a lot about on the uh, on the show this year, and I haven't been able to track him down to have him on the show himself. Uh, so educate the audience, uh, if you will, on uh, J.J. Paterka. Oh, he's he's a lot of fun. You know, <laughs> he's uh, well, you, you got to start there. I mean, there's there isn't a higher motor in this draft class. You're getting 110 percent out of John Jason Paterka every single shift. Uh, he, his competitiveness is through the roof. And, you know, we, we've heard this this kind of trope before, right, about players giving their all and fighting for loose pucks and all that all that sort of stuff, right? But I mean, when you can see and you can visualize the impact that this has on uh, Paterka's ability to generate positive two-way results, to generate plays that others might have given up on, it's really evident. And and another thing too is I, I think he's somewhat misunderstood. A lot of people, th- their default impulse when you talk about a player who is as physical and and has those tools that he does because he's a great skater. Uh, he loves to play through traffic. He loves to, to to seek out contact. I think he's also got a pretty refined offensive mind, particularly for someone his age. And the one thing that we've kind of uh, glommed onto when it comes to John Jason Paterka and why we've kind of been sold on his upside at Elite Prospects is his sense of timing, right? It's It's one thing to visualize passing lanes. It's another thing entirely to create passing lanes. And then it's one step removed from both of those items to time one's uh, charges into space perfectly to correspond with their teammate in the space that they have and their ability to get the puck to them. Uh, this is something that John Jason Paterka does exceptionally well. Uh, his, his sense of timing is, is among the best in this class. I, I think, you know, it's some of the problems and, you know, because I'm talking about all these elite skills that he has, right, whether it's the motor or the sense of timing, uh, willingness to play through traffic. Uh, some of the pitfalls with John Jason Paterka, and this is a common one with with players this age, he only plays at one speed, and that can prove problematic, right? And I'm not making a direct comparison to Nathan McKinnon. I hate player comparisons, period. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But, you know, one of the things that unlocked Nathan McKinnon's potential at the NHL level was learning to change his speed up, learning to, to integrate a change-up into his rotation, Right. And and that's something that a lot of young players have to work through. Uh, whether John Jason Paterka has it within him to to learn to play at different speeds, to change up his pace, to change his tempo, uh, to create more space for himself so that he doesn't have to seek out contact. These are the things that are going to take his game to the next level. But ultimately, I look at his production pretty solid for a kid playing in a men's league in Germany. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to see him play even more than he did, frankly. I think that's one thing that a lot of us wanted to see. But uh, you, you take some of those tools, you take some of those innate abilities, like the timing, uh, like the competitiveness, the physicality. This is a player for us who we see as being a really, really high potential player to play in someone's middle six. 
to provide value in both phases of special teams. And, and really he just, the more we watched him, the more we became enamored with this game. And, you know, uh, even people around the league I talked to, right? Like it wouldn't surprise me if he goes between 15 to 20, because again, a lot of people see that offensive potential. A lot of people see that ceiling and, and they're going to chase it. So that's, that's kind of where we're coming from when it comes to ranking John Jason Paterka relatively high, you know, relative to the industry itself. J.D., let's go to Cross Hannis of the Portland Winterhawks, who uh, had a good year, 22 goals, 49 points through 60 games. Uh, some bigger-name uh, teammates as well, including uh, Seth Jarvis, who's going to go pretty high. Uh, but what uh, about Hannis uh, stood out to you and uh, made it so that he was on your uh, shortlist here of uh, personal favorites? Yeah, he he's an interesting one because I, I get a lot of pushback from scouts. Uh, like, we've got him ranked right at the end of the second round. I wouldn't be surprised if he's going in the fourth or fifth, just based on the feedback that we get from uh, industry sources. It's uh, it's a whole lot of negatives there, um, you know. So we're we're definitely sticking our neck out on uh, sticking our necks out on this one. But uh, I mean, part of the reason the industry doesn't have a lot of time for Cross Hannis is something that we just haven't seen. They see him as a a player who's afraid to get to the sensitive parts of the offensive zone, who's afraid to seek out contact. Uh, that's just not something we've seen. We've seen quite the opposite. We've got plenty of examples on tape of a player who is uh, willing and seems to actually enjoy playing a, a Pesks game, right? And, you know, the, the the other concern is his skating. I think that improved over the course of the year. Uh, you know, his rush patterns are still a little bit on the uh, the remedial side, not a lot of diversity there. And, and I think it's a bit concerning that every time he carries the puck into the offensive zone, he defaults to a button hook. But once you get the offensive cycle going, this is somebody who, who's got a ton of skill, right? He can stick handle in a phone booth, his small area game, his small area quickness, his ability to uh, transfer weight across his body to maneuver in tight spaces. Uh, these are things that really stuck out to us. And, and another thing about Hannes, too, is, you know, this his production isn't necessarily what we'd expect with a relatively high pick out of the CHL, but... Uh, we've got access to some some underlying metrics, and you know, in, in the CHL, an underlying metric just means ice time, something that's <laughs> available to us readily in the NHL. Uh, he wasn't playing a lot, and he wasn't playing with a high quality of teammate in a lot of spots too. So, you know, when you contextualize his production, looking at that data, well, it, it starts to look a hell of a lot better. And uh, you know, it's 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 something where we're we're pretty confident in his skill level, and and we think that ultimately, if you can get a player with uh, those innate tools, that vision, that playmaking ability, the the small area game. If you can find that at the end of the second round, I think you're you're coming away with a pretty good player. All right, let's move to a Russian who was uh, eligible last year, didn't get taken, but uh, uh, had a massive uh, jump in production this season. That would be Dmitry Roshevsky, who uh, went from five points last year in 24 games to 74 points, 44 of them goals in uh, 61 games with St. Petersburg. Uh, in the MHL, uh, tell me about this guy and, and how, do, how does a, a player take that big of a leap forward? Is it all about ice time and opportunity? Well, I mean, that's that's often the case with the MHL and the VHL and even to a lesser extent, the KHL, right? It's, uh, you know, I don't know if I've become the very thing I swore to destroy when I say this, but uh, you almost kind of have to throw the, the stats out of the window sometimes when it comes to those leagues right? Mm -hmm. uh, not to sound like one of the 200 hockey men, but it really is the case in Russia. Uh, you know, he, he's such an impressive player and, and I don't want to take too much credit for, for discovering him because 
this was really the work of David St. Louis, our QMJHL scout. Uh, we had a lot of extra time this year, as, as every other outlet, frankly, uh, you know, with the NHL moving its draft all the way to October. And he put an extra uh, bunch of work in watching the MHL, the VHL, the KHL. And, you know, at some point a few months ago, I get a message from David. And he goes, you got to check out this Ryshevsky kid. You know, he's, he's unreal. You know, so I check out his elite prospects page. Okay, he's about 30 or 40 points clear of his next highest teammate. Let's see what we got here. And you break down the tape, and man, this is a smart kid. You know, he doesn't play with a ton of pace, but I'd hardly hold that against him in the MHL where pace is a foreign entity. Uh, you know, he's got a great level of, of deception in the way that he distributes the puck, in the way that he carries the puck, the way that he sets up his deeks. Uh, he's got a great small area game. He's got a real willingness to take the puck into difficult spots. Uh, he can make plays. He can shoot the puck. Uh, you know, he, he really brings a lot to the table. And, and you just, you, you, you drop a, a ledger, right? You go cons and pros. The pros list for Ryshevsky is a mile long. And then you've got that one con and it's just quickness, uh, pace, or, or tempo, whatever you want to call it, right? And, you know, another thing, too, is he's not the, the best defensive player, not an especially refined piece in the defensive zone. Uh, you know, but that's that's really nothing too uh, out of the ordinary for these players. And, you know, uh, I think a big thing for Ryshevsky, too, and why we weren't more confident putting him up higher is uh, the team he's playing for in the MHL, they don't have a KHL affiliate right so whoever takes Roshevsky, if they're going to want to develop this kid and see this project through they're going to have to bring him over and have him play in the ahl or they're going to have to get him to the the liga or the k or sorry the uh the shl right they're going to have to find an environment that challenges him more that uh elevates his game but frankly the the tool the toolkit there is so impressive and uh, you know, if you can do that, if you can find a way to get him in a better, more challenging environment, I think you could really develop a top six scoring piece out of this kid. Mm. And you know what? He's he's going completely unnoticed in a lot of outlets. Uh, he almost did for us as well, so I'm not tooting our own horn here. Uh, very late in the process before we got to him. But, I mean, if you can get this guy in the third or fourth round, you're, you're, you're sitting pretty because that's a hell of a player, a hell of a talent to work with. Interesting. All right. Well, watch for him, uh, Dmitry Roshevsky, uh, draft day, a wild card, perhaps. Uh, let's go to Ethan Edwards out of the Alberta Junior Hockey League, who played uh, about uh, 15 minutes away uh, from where I'm sitting right now with the Spruce Grove Saints. Uh, another guy like Brisson off to Michigan if and when uh, NCAA hockey gets going again. Tell me about Ethan Edwards and uh, what stood out to you. This is another guy that you saw up in northern BC at the World Junior A Challenge. That's right, and he's he's one of the, uh, you know, I, I took a scouting trip to Edmonton. I wanted to get a better view on some of the uh, the players that I saw at the World Junior A Challenge. I wanted to see uh, Jake Neighbors in person, and, and uh, you know, unfortunately it didn't line up. I didn't get to see the Spruce Grove Saints, but, you know, that just meant more film work, right? And uh, doing a little bit more diligence to make sure that what I saw at the uh, World Junior A Challenge was real, and you know what, I... One of our most fierce debates, and it's been one that we've we've been having for six months, is between me and uh, David St. Louis. He's in the Michael Benning camp. Uh, I'm in the Ethan Edwards camp. And and for me, I really do think that Ethan Edwards is the best uh, prospect to come out of the AJHL this year. Uh, you know, and and I watched him at the World Junior A Challenge, and I saw somebody with such a more refined 
uh, offensive games than, than Michael Benning, for example, if we're going to use a direct comparison uh, to establish a baseline here. He's somebody who's so deceptive as a puck carrier. Uh, he sends so many false signals. I mean, on the one hand, you've got somebody who is a, just an effortless skater, glides around the ice with ease. And then you combine that with his ability to move people out of space, you know, by, by, by posturing one way with his shoulders or his feet and then going the other. Uh, you look at what he does in the offensive zone, and I don't even think it's really a close contest uh, between him and Benning, right? And uh, particularly at even strength. I know Edwards doesn't have the points to back this up, but when the, com- uh, when the talent pool compressed, uh, even slightly at the World Junior A Challenge, you saw this. You saw somebody who was more involved, had a higher work rate, uh, found a way to get to the more sensitive parts of the offensive zone. Uh, you know, for me, the big question about Ethan Edwards is, can he fill out his frame? Because I know everybody's going to bring up how many small defensemen can you have? How many Ethan Edwards are there room for in the NHL? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I talk to scouts around the league, and, and they kind of say the same thing. Like, this, this guy's mentally he's at another level uh his his skating is elite we just need to see him fill out that frame and i think he could be something really special i mean you know this is another case of a player on our board that's maybe a little bit lower than i would have personally and i think that uh whoever takes him is probably going to go early in the third uh you know that's a really good bet that's a great bet and again you talk about the uh the environment in which he's going to develop doesn't get much better than Michigan, assuming there is a Michigan to go to next year. Yeah, it seems like they've uh, turned out some defensemen over the years, no question. And interesting, you have Edwards and uh, and Michael Benning side-by-side side on your rankings, too. Just shows how uh, close that debate was within uh, your group. Yes, it really does. I mean, it's uh, you know what's really unfortunate is we put out our, our scouts meeting, right? And we wanted to, to give some transparency into the process. And uh, the thing that really, uh, the thing that really kind of, I don't know, bugged me once we put the video out was we have so many of these debates in our Slack channel between us. So like we've been going to war with each other on Ethan Edwards versus Michael Benning for six months. So by the time we got to that point in the debate, um, in the recorded meeting, it was just like, ah, you know where I stand, you know where you stand. <laughs> and then trying to, to trying to reach consensus by, by talking to our group and saying, which one of us is more convincing? You know, let's get some some new eyes on this, right? Because neither of us was willing to budge. I was like, David, love you, buddy. I think you're as sharp an analyst as there is in the industry. Uh, you're wrong as hell on this one, though, and him vice versa. And uh, ultimately, David was like, hey, uh, you know what? If you feel that strongly, and I do, uh, then then you get the edge. So uh, that's, that's a little uh, peek behind the curtains on how that one went. Great. Uh, J.D. Burke from Elite Prospects, my guest. Now, I asked everybody for a player that uh, maybe they know is going to get taken in the draft in reality uh, well before you would actually uh, take that uh, particular player. Uh, And now we can kind of tie that in with the rest of the AJHL story because you talked about Edwards for you as the top guy out of the AJ, and Michael Benning is in that mix uh, as well. A lot of people would say it's Carter Savoy. That's not you. You're not a big – you're not that high on Carter Savoy. No, uh, <laughs> I got to be, you know, you always got to be careful when you're talking about, about uh, players this age, right? Like when you're talking about an NHL or you can just, I don't know, they're an adult. You can sure. say they suck, <laughs> you know, but I'm not going to go quite there with Carter Savoy, but uh, pretty, pretty unimpressed with what I've seen from him this year. And, you know, I, I think that I definitely put the work in to make sure that I was uh, getting a good read on this player and, and, 
And I mean, that, that includes traveling to the frozen tundras of Sherwood Park all the way in January, right? And, you know, I just kept seeing the same thing. I, I see somebody with an incredibly low work rate, uh, somebody who, who sends fake tough guy hits, you know, the types that don't really have any impact on play. They're usually four seconds after the puck has moved out of the frame. Uh, you know, somebody who has a propensity to take undisciplined penalties. You know, a lot of people are going to say he's a great skater. He's a great skater. And uh, you know what? He, he's definitely an above average skater, but he's also incredibly top heavy. And uh, he collapses really heavily at his hips, which is going to limit his mobility. Uh, you know, and, and I just don't see somebody with a lot of offensive capability beyond his shot. And granted, granted, you know, I was saying earlier about Brisson, you got a shot that good. It's going to take you somewhere. Uh, I think that Savoy's in that that stratosphere, but he's not at that level, certainly not as a trigger man. And, uh, you know, I, I see somebody who doesn't support the puck. I see somebody who doesn't support his team's transition. I see somebody who doesn't contribute to the defensive health of their team. I see somebody who doesn't move their feet, particularly on the man advantage. Uh, I see a lot of red flags. And, and, you know, that isn't to say that I don't see the reasons why uh, other talent evaluators like Carter Savoy, but you know, when uh, I was talking earlier about the, the, the cons and uh, pros ledger with Ryshevsky, it's, it's kind of the exact opposite for, for Carter Savoy, where it's like, I've got all these red flags and, you know, no matter how good that shot is, can I really overlook all of this just because of one tool? Uh, and the answer ultimately was no. Um, we kept him off our board and, you know, I think David, again, uh, he has a lot more time for for uh, Carter Savoy than I do. I think Mitch Brown, our, our director of North American Scouting, is somewhere between the two of us. But, uh, you know, if I'm making a draft board, he's probably getting a do not draft tag. Just not the type of player I'd want in my system. 53, point, or 53 goals in 54 games, 99 points. Headed to Denver, maybe it's a maturity thing and they can get him on track there in terms of, you know, how hard he works away from the puck and those shortcomings that you saw. Maybe they can turn him around there. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. And and you know what? Like he wouldn't be the first player to um to, to work through those those kind of pitfalls, right? And mm-hmm. you know what? Maybe we're looking a year from now and he's over a point per game in, in Denver and I'm looking like a total idiot. Uh, you know, I, I think that we have to of course always allow for that possibility in an industry where the best uh talent evaluators are, are hitting three hundred. You know, so it's 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 definitely a possibility. I'm not blind to uh, what others see in his game, but I think that you have to have a certain amount of discretion, particularly when you're trying to uh, approximate the team process. And and that's something that we're going for here, right? And and that's why we've got certain players who are going to be rated very highly elsewhere uh, who are do not drafts because we we try to use the guiding principle. Do if we were an NHL team, do we want this person in our system? Mm-hmm. And based on what we see at present, uh, we, we can't really come up with a firm yes. All right, you gave me a list of uh, three or four other guys as well that uh, you would be happy not getting uh, in the draft. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll offer up uh, Shakir Mukamudulin if uh, I didn't butcher that name uh, all that badly. I think people would know who I'm referring to, but uh, you're not a big fan either. Well, he didn't butcher his name as badly as he butchers his team's ability to transition the puck up ice. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've just, I, I've got 
less than no time for Mukumadulin. Uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of people see a, a big rangy defenseman who can skate relatively well, who's playing in the KHL as an 18 year old. And you know what, that's, that's a list of qualities that you don't always want in the defenseman, right? And, and certainly even if you're approaching this from an analytics perspective, uh, if you're playing against men in your draft, you're a pretty damn good sign. Uh, the problem is, I have yet to see him play a good game of hockey. And when I saw him at the World Junior A Challenge, uh, you could have easily convinced me that Shakir Mukumadulin had only learned about the sport two weeks prior, <laughs> right? And and it was just his his inability to make reads off the puck, his inability to create breakout passes, his inability to uh, factor into play in the offensive zone. I mean, you know, everybody talks about his overtime uh, game winner in the gold medal game. Does anybody talk about the fact that the only reason that game went to overtime was because with three minutes left in the, the third period, puck on his stick, nearest four checker is 20 or 30 feet away. He lobs the puck into the crowd for a delay of game, a delay of game penalty. Like, how how exactly, you know, did we get to the point where he has the opportunity to take that, that shot for the gold medal winning goal, right? Yeah. And you know, I, I just, I see somebody who is all tools uh, and and no real conceptualization of how to use those tools yet, right? Somebody who is such a big time developmental prospect. And, you know, when I, I see him in the second or first or third round, I go, geez, I, I see a lot of players who have a lot more going for them presently than he does, uh, even with the most optimistic projection. So, uh, he's a clear do not draft for us, and uh, not a lot of discussion on that one, frankly. I mean, Mitch was with me in, in Dawson Dawson Creek, and he saw much of what I did as well. So, uh, you know, just I, I think he's going to get drafted highly. I just would hate to be the team doing it. Tyler Clevin, uh, for some people, a fairly highly touted uh, defenseman, uh, eventually headed to North Dakota but played for the U.S. team the last couple of years uh, and again this is a guy who you would uh, you would take a pass on at least where uh, other people have him ranked oh uh, every day of the week and again i think this is one where it's uh it's it's again all projection right you're looking at somebody who's big who can skate relatively well and you're going what could tyler clevin be right. and he's going to uh north dakota right a, a place that has a great track record with developing defensemen well, I mean, Mitch Mitch does a great job of tracking data manually and, and really kind of rigorously uh, reviewing the numbers. And he's got Drew Tomeso, uh, the goaltender on the national team, completing a higher percentage of his defensive zone passes <laughs> than Tyler Clevin. No, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. Oh, Drew Tomeso, the goaltender for the national team development program, is completing passes in the defensive zone at a higher rate than Tyler Clevin. And so I go, you know what? I can see that he skates well. I know that he's very late to the game of hockey. And if you want to sell me on that projection, then I've actually got a lot of time for it. Uh, I don't think that, that Tyler Clevin is in the Mukumadulin tier of players, right? Like, I think that you could salvage something of this prospect. But uh, am I going to make that bet any earlier than the sixth or seventh round? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, and, and frankly, a lot of the intel that I'm getting from the NHL, I think he's probably going to go in the first somehow. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a disconnect there between the, uh, the rest of the industry and us, and uh, we'll see who is right in time. Well, and that just pushes another player down to you, somebody that, like, that you like more. Um, so that's not a bad thing. And uh, quickly, there's a couple other guys, Trevor Kuntar and uh, Ryder Rolston as well. Uh, you want to touch on either one or both? 
Yeah, yeah, I'll give you a quick read on those guys. I mean, Ryder Rolston, for us, he's he's been the same player for three years. You know, uh, his, his development has completely plateaued. Uh, he's somebody who, you know, a lot of people, again, it's, it's similar, but worse. Uh, when, when I was talking about Carter Savoy skating and a lot of people go, oh, he's a great skater. Uh, in the case of Ryder Rolston, he collapses so hard at his hips and he doesn't get low, right? There isn't a ton of knee bend, right? It doesn't give him any stability. Uh, if you breathe hard on Ryder Rolston, he's going to fall over. Uh, you know, he's, he's got no balance. He's got no ability to be a primary puck carrier as a result. Uh, his inability to find teammates, to find trailers, uh, you know, ostensibly skating should be the, the selling point for his game. Uh, not the case because you can't trust him to transport the puck up ice to, to any effect. You know, so many one and done rushes this year. Uh, it's just one of those things where he's an independent contractor. And, and one of the things that we like to bet on at Elite Prospects is upside. And you look at a player with Ryder Rolston's uh, skill set. I mean, he's got a, a phenomenal shot. Uh, in theory, he's a good skater. Does he bring anything else to the table? Is he going to be able to carve out a career in any other capacity? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I have a hard time seeing it. And I think that the fact that this player has been in pretty much the exact same spot developmentally for the last two and a half, three years, uh, you know, it kind of speaks to that point, right? It's it's not like he took a, a big step forward when he played with Waterloo this year. And, and you really want to see that when you're talking about somebody going from the development team to uh, somewhere where they have to be the go-to player offensively. Right. He didn't really carry that mantle. And again, when you talk about the talent pool compressing, uh, he was awful at the World Junior A Challenge and awful to the point where he was getting benched. Uh, I don't think he played any higher than the 13th forwards role after a certain point. And, and frankly, I thought the coach was being generous. You know, I, he's somebody who really hurt his ability, uh, his team's ability rather to, to generate offense, uh, in the offensive zone, right? Just completely out of the play, can't find his teammates, uh, and, and really just a low work rate, all things considered. So, uh, he's somebody who's a firm do not draft for us. Now, <clears throat> shifting gears a bit to, to Trevor Kuntar. I mean, this is one where I, I do think that we could really find ourselves getting bit in the rear end a bit. Uh, you know, I, I could foresee a scenario where we're pretty wrong on this guy, but uh, he's more of, of, of a player that looks ostensibly like a, a good high-end prospect than, than we've really seen uh, actually being one, you know, and, and a lot of people right now are so caught up in the phenomenon of the Mohawk skating formation, right, where you, you split your like you, you open your hips and you've got your skates at the 10 and 2 formation and it allows you to see the whole of the ice. And, and in theory, you should be able to find your teammates. Uh, Trevor Kuntar relies on that way too much, way too much. And the other thing about going into the Mohawk skating formation is it opens you up to so much contact. And what happens when the, the pace of play picks up and he's trying to Mohawk his way through the neutral zone in the NCAA? Well, he's going to get put on his ass. And I think that's going to happen a lot. Uh, you know, he, he's got a high work rate. He battles hard. He goes to the front of the net. He likes to stir it up. Uh, I appreciate that. But, you know, aside from being a screen guy uh, at five on five and aside from being a one timer on the power play, it's like, uh, does he really find teammates through levels? No. Uh, is he is he a good puck carrier? Can he distribute off the rush? Not that I've seen. You know, there are a lot of holes in his game. And, and you know, I've seen some teams uh, or I've heard from some teams who have him as high as, you know, the third round. And and I could totally 
hear out a case for taking him in that spot, but I just haven't seen it. I really haven't seen him put it all uh, put it all together, and until I do, he's not a prospect that I would be especially keen to bet on. That's fair. JD, where can people see the uh, complete rankings for elite prospects? Well, we're going to put out the draft guide at some point in August. I'm, uh, you know, I've got a, a set of handcuffs that are attached to my desk, and uh, I've kind of uh, made that my post for the foreseeable future. As we're going to put the finishing touches on our draft guide, it's going to be available with an elite prospects. Uh, premium membership and you'll be able to find that probably closer to august 25th 20th and uh, we'll have the whole ranking in there we're going to have the do not draft section where we take you through our kind of thought process there uh it's, it's going to be great we're, we're really excited about the product that we're putting out and you know also being able to put it out at such an affordable rate during such a, a difficult time too i mean you you buy one month of elite prospects premium and well you get access to the whole draft guide 10 bucks you know, that's not bad. So we're really excited about this project and finally getting to see it come to fruition. It's a, it's a hell of a thing. Looking forward to that. Uh, JD, really appreciate your time. I know you got a busy schedule here the next little bit. So, uh, I appreciate you, uh, fitting the pipeline show in. Uh, always great to catch up. Uh, thanks for doing this. Anytime. Thanks so much for having me on. JD Burt from Elite Prospects and, uh, EP Ringside as well and, uh, going in depth on a lot of guys there and does a great job. Breaking down video, you can find all uh, that type of uh, work and uh, the articles he puts up by doing that. You can find those on EP Ringside. Uh, I have been asked why uh, the Pipeline Show stuff hasn't been on EP Ringside uh, the last number of uh, months. Uh, and that was, I th- they were just scaling back because of the pandemic. They had to scale back and uh, a lot of businesses were doing the same. I've lost a lot of advertisers on uh, my show. Uh, so I am hoping that is a uh, temporary thing as I really appreciate the uh, association with EP Ringside. I think they do a great job, and it's a great fit for the Pipeline Show as well, so uh, hopefully we'll get that back up and running uh, in the near future. Up next, a newcomer to the Pipeline Show, Tony Ferrari, who scouts with Dauber Prospects. Let's get his wish list next here on the Pipeline Show. Coach Dibbon could not resist leaving Newhook out there. Newhook will wind up out of his own zone. He went from Newfoundland to Victoria last year, and here he goes. Wide around the corner. Newhook shoots, scores! He does it again! Hi, it's Alex Newhook of the Victoria Grizzlies, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion. Talent. Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Dylan Larkin. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Kevin Shattenkirk. And James Van Riemsdyk were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. Back on the Pipeline Show, let's continue on uh, getting to know some of the uh, the favorites uh, uh, for uh, various scouts for the 2020 draft, as this is the finale of Season 15 here on the Pipeline Show. And my next guest, newcomer to the Pipeline Show, pleased to be joined by uh, Tony Ferrari of uh, Dauber Hockey. Uh, Tony, welcome to the program. How are you? 
Not too bad, Guy. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to get a chance to speak with you. Let's get right to it uh, because uh, there's some guys on here on your list that I'm not super familiar with, so I'm uh, waiting to get uh, educated on these guys. Let's start with uh, Jacob Perot from the Starnia Sting out of the OHL. Tell me about him and why he's on your short list of uh, personal favorites, Tony. Well, the big thing with me for Jacob Perot is he's one of the guys that I think improved most over the course of the year. He kind of came into the year as a guy with a big shot, and that was just about it. Uh, over the course of the year, he was able to improve his skating tenfold. Uh, he was a guy that was kind of wonky, a little bit similar to Cole Perfetti in the sense that their weight distribution was a little off on their strides. But this year, Jacob Perot was able to take that step and, and really, really improve his skating. Uh, there's still some technical issues here and there, especially when he gets late in shifts. But overall, he's become one of the fastest players in the OHL. Hmm. He actually beat John Luke Foody at some of the uh, all-star competitions for the fastest skater. So, I mean, with the kid's speed added to his shot, he's just a really, really intriguing prospect. He's got really high-level hands, and like he doesn't get the credit for his shot, but he really does have maybe one of the top three shots in the entire draft. All right. And, I mean, this is a guy who has uh, scored uh, 39 goals this year, 30 as a rookie. Um, so he's obviously pushing that goal-scoring uh, ceiling upwards for him as he moves forward, and that's obviously with a, a slightly shortened season here as well. When you think of him, do you think goal scorer or setup guy or a bit of both? He's an interesting player because I think he's naturally more of a goal scorer. That sh- the shot he has kind of means that he has to be a goal scorer primarily because it's just that good. Um, as a playmaker, though, he's really, really creative. I find he does really well when he's below the goal line, passing from behind the net. He's able to make passes that I wouldn't even expect him to even try because there's feet in the lanes, and he's getting the puck through right on the tape of his teammates. Uh, his, his playmaking is really, really creative and fun to watch. Uh, he doesn't always hit his passes. There, there are times where his passes are a little bit, uh, a little bit wild, but it, for the most part, he's more than capable of, of being a dual threat in the offensive zone. All right. Whereabouts, uh, for uh, Dauber prospects do you guys have him ranked? Uh, I have him ranked, uh, just in the 15 to 20 range. I think he is at 18 on my most recent rankings. Okay. Uh, but he's a guy that I, I would expect to see go maybe a little bit later in the draft because he was playing on a really bad team in Sarnia and in some of his de- defensive metrics and even his just defensive engagement in general, we're kind of lacking this year. All right. Fair enough. Tyler Tulio with the Oshawa Generals, a guy whose name has not come up on my show at all this year. Uh, but maybe there's, uh, somebody that, uh, I need to know more about. Not the biggest guy in the world, but I gotta like the numbers: twenty-seven goals, sixty-six points in just sixty-two games this year. So uh, educate me about him. The biggest thing with Tulio is he's got a high, high-end motor. The kid never stops going. His compete levels through the roof. Uh, he's got creativity to burn. As a playmaker, I've seen him make no, a number of spin passes or passes behind him, behind himself, and just passes from creative different angles. Uh, he's got a really underrated shot. Like you said, he's a smaller guy, so generally the puck doesn't pop off their stick as much as it does. But with Tulio, he's able to elevate the puck from in tight, beat goalies from distance. He he doesn't shoot a whole lot, and especially once uh, Phil Tomasino became his center after the OHL trade deadline, he became a really instinctive playmaker. Uh, I, I felt like he really took a step once he was able to move from center to wing, and I think he ends up being on the wing at the next level. When Tomasino is one of the top scorers in the OHL, do you have to factor that in at all and, and ask, you know, how much of, of uh, Tulio's production was because of Tomasino? 
Normally I do. And in, in, in looking at uh, Tulio's stats from throughout the year, his scoring rate didn't actually go up that much when uh, Tomasino joined his line. Okay. It was actually Tomasino's scoring rate that went up when he joined uh, Tulio on the line. So it was kind of one of those situations where I, I'm sure having Tomasino there definitely benefited Tulio, but I think it was kind of a mutual agreement between the two. Okay, very good. And another guy that you have, what, uh, early second, tail end of the first, or where do you have Tulio? Yeah, he's a guy I have in my 40s. I, because of his size, he's only 5'9". Right. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him go kind of middle of the second second round, but he's a guy that's got a boatload of skill, and if he can put on a little bit of size and strength over the next couple of years, he could be a real steal. Tony Ferrari's my guest from uh, Dauber Prospects and uh, Dauber Hockey. Um, tell me about Maverick Bork from your perspective, because I've talked to people. Seems to be a bit of a polarizing guy. There's there's some that like him a lot, some that uh, maybe uh, are still waiting to be impressed by him. Uh, he's on your short list of favorites, so tell me why you're high on him. Yeah, he, I'm high on Maverick Bork because I wasn't early in the year. Hmm. Uh, to be completely honest, I, I Maverick Bork, I was a guy that was late to him. He's a really, really high-end playmaker, really manipulative uh, of the defenses. He can kind of force the defenses into situations and then takes advantage of those those spots. Um, he's, a, he's a wizard with his passing, and he's a really crafty goal scorer. Uh, the reason that I think people are down on him a little bit at times is he plays a ton of minutes. He he really is the main player on that Shawinigan Cataracts team, and he's not a big guy either. He's only 5'11", 165, I think, and he doesn't play a huge physical game. Uh, his defensive game, the numbers look good when you, you're able to dive into some of the metrics that I have, and I'm able to look and see his defensive ratings and whatnot, and they're actually pretty good. But when you watch him play defensively, there are shifts where he just completely takes it off. Hmm. Um, he's the guy that you bet on and, and likely ends up at the wing at the next level because he isn't a, a, a big player, really. But with the skill and, and, and offensive talent that he has, he's a guy that I'd be willing to bet on in, in the mid-teens. The mid-teens, okay, all right, Maverick Bork, uh, a favorite for uh, for Tony and for uh, Dauber. Uh, now, a guy I know pretty well is Jake Neighbors with the Edmonton Oil Kings. Get to see him all the time. Uh, so I've seen him on the good nights. I've seen him have bad nights, too. Uh, but what's your overall picture of what Jake Neighbors is all about and kind of where you project him at the next level and where you'd take him in a draft? Well, Jake Neighbors is an interesting player because, like you said, there, there were times where he, did, he didn't have the best game, and when he had bad games, he was kind of really un- uninvolved and he was invisible a bit. But for the most part, Jake Neighbors is like the Swiss Army knife type player that every team needs. He's a guy that can kind of play up and down your lineup and any- anywhere in the top nine, really. Um, he-, he can be, a- he's a really good playmaker, but he's got a-, a really high end shot that honestly I don't think he uses enough. Uh, he gets a lot of shots in terms of volume, but he doesn't get them from, from super high danger areas. Hmm. And if he can really push into the, the slot a little bit more, I can see him easily being a 25 to 30 goal scorer at the NHL level. And with his playmaking ability as a bigger player, he's going to be able to really dominate it on a second power play or kind of as like the secondary scorer for a team. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. And the one thing you can't see on a stat line with neighbors, character through the roof. Uh, he's he's one of the best kids uh, that I've come across. And uh, I've been around the Oil Kings for a while. Um, he's just a, a first-class human uh, for Jake Neighbors. Um, Brett Berard uh, played south of the border. I didn't get to see him personally, but I've had some chats with people about him. Uh, again, not the biggest guy in the world, but uh, there's some talent and skill there. Uh, he made your list of personal favorites. How come? Brett Berard's a guy that you watch, and if he was three, four inches bigger, I think he'd be re- realistically pushing into the end of the second round, or into the first round, sorry, late, early second round. Uh, he's a guy that I, I think... 
he's always making the right play. You, you look at a lot of his metrics, and all, all of his metrics are above team average. All of his metrics are, are above where you'd want them. And the really big knock on him is that he's 5'9 and 152 pounds. Hmm. Uh, he generates shots from high-danger areas with regularity, and, and that was one thing that the NTDB team kind of struggled with at times this year. And Brett Berard, one of the smallest members of the team, was the, the guy that was constantly leading the drive for that. Uh, he's, a, he's got a nose for the net, and he, he had 16 goals in 41 games, which doesn't seem like a lot, but he oftentimes played in the, in the middle six on that NTDB team, and that team wasn't really all that deep this year. Uh, it, it was nowhere close to last year's talent, so there was a few players like Brett Berard and Dylan Peterson who oftentimes got stru- stuck with uh, lackluster teammates and didn't really have the, the skill on their line to produce a whole lot, even though they were generating chances. Do you consider where they're going at the next step? Well, yeah, he's going to Providence College. But when you're making a ranking, do you take that into consideration at all? Uh, or are you just evaluating players where they're at now and kind of what you think they can be as a pro? Uh, you have to take uh, their their next step into consideration, I think, especially when they're going to college. I think college is a really good route for some players, and, and other players it wouldn't be a good route. For a guy like Brett Berard, I think it's a, it's an awesome way because yeah. he's going to be a couple years away. He needs to put some size on. And in playing with a little bit higher skill guys and, and getting used to taking that step slowly is going to be really good for him. Um, particularly in a year like this year, it's it's going to be tough because with a lot of colleges and in, in like the Ivy Leagues pushed off their season, it's going to be tough because these guys don't know where they're playing next year. And some guys are going to have to make a decision on whether or not to go to school or maybe find the team that their CHL rights are on and, and go with them. Yeah, I haven't. I don't know if uh, he's got a CHL connection. I'm sure somebody uh, has uh, picked up or added his his rights. But uh, Brett Berard going to Providence. Nate Lehman, uh, an excellent coach, uh, probably a good fit for him. Uh, the last guy on the uh, the personal favorites list is uh, Alex Passion, who again not somebody that's come up uh, by name on uh, on the Pipeline Show all that much this year. Um, so uh, I need to know more about him. What can you tell me? Well, I wanted to throw in one of the one European guy here, and, and Alex Passion was just my go-to guy for that. He's a, a really skilled winger. He plays a high-octane offense, and he's a play driver. He had 39 points in 37 games at the Russian junior level, which isn't the best league, but he was a guy that was pushing into the, the middle of the ice. And the, the MHL is a league that a lot of the shots come from distance, a lot of the shots come from the perimeter, and Alex Passion was consistently getting shots in from the slot. He was like a, a massive guy who was easily able to get into the or sorry, he was a small guy who was able to get into the air, the tight areas that normally bigger guys get into. Uh, he's a really slick playmaker. Uh, he is smaller, 5'8", 155. So he's going to need to get stronger, but he's so predatory with his offensive instincts that he's always attacking the net and he's always kind of around where the puck is. Uh, he's a guy that I think is a project, but he's a project that you can take a swing on maybe at the early second round, late first round. If, if you have multiple picks, Wow, he's the kind of guy that I'd target in that spot. Wow. And I was going to say, you know, he's got the whole Russian factor. As he said, he's tiny. Is this like a seventh round guy that you're just taking a flyer on, but you would actually consider second round for that. Yeah. He's a guy that I think he has all the, the offensive skill in the world and he's actually quite good, uh, defensively as well. Um, he's a guy that you're you're banking on the future with him because hmm. he, he is going to be a couple years away, similar to Brett Berard, where he's probably going to end up playing a year or two in the KHL uh, until he's 21 and coming over around 2021. And, and that's a, a factor. You have to consider that. And like you said, the Russian factor of maybe he doesn't come over for a few years is there. But 
he's a guy that's expressed interest in the NHL a few times in the past, and I think the Russian factor realistically is becoming less and less of a thing, unless you're Kirill Kaprizov, I mean, but for the most part, these guys are coming over within a couple of years, and I, I don't think it's as big a factor as it used to be. Well, and I see there are some others that uh, think highly of them as well and have them in that second, third round range too, so uh, there are people who uh, agree with you on that one. All right, now I asked everybody for an example of a player that might be a bit overrated or, you know, if you were a team picking and somebody right ahead of you, they took that player. That just pushes somebody that you like better uh, down to you, so you'd be happy with that. Uh, and the name that you gave me is Lucas Cormier. Why? Well, I think first off, first and foremost, I think Lucas Cormier has a ton of skill. Um, he's a really good offensive player, and he's got the, the offensive IQ that you look for in a, a power play quarterback. My issue with him is that he has a high, high reliance on power play to produce. Uh, over 47% of his, only, only 47% of his scoring came at even strength. Uh, when you're pushing numbers like, <clears throat> like over 50% at, on power, on the power play, it, it kind of worries me that you're not going to be able to translate that to the next level when things get faster and tighter. Hmm. His defensive play is hit and miss. He seems pretty uninterested in his own zone. And he doesn't really have the, the defensive IQ to, to really affect the play and, and break up uh, battles along the boards or break up cycles really at all. Um, and one thing that may come as a, a weird thing to people is that he's a volume shooter, and I don't really love that for a defenseman. Unless the defenseman has a really, really big shot or uh, they're pushing into dangerous areas, um, I don't like when my defenseman's trying to take three, four, five shots a game. And Lucas Cormier has done that a number of times this year. Uh, he's one of the highest shooting, def uh, volume shooting defensemen in the draft, and and a lot of his shots are coming from the point. And those are just low danger chances that the goalie eats up and you turn the puck over essentially. Well, he must have a low shooting percentage too because he's only got six goals um, this past season. He had 15 the previous year as a rookie, but just six uh, for Charlottetown uh, this past year. Not the biggest guy in the world again. Uh, and uh, I just saw that he played in the Holinka Gretzky Cup. No points over there either. So not sure what to project from him at the next level. Yeah, he's a guy that I look at and I'm like, if you can get him and kind of bury him maybe on your third bearing and, and play him on the power play, he can be a really, really high-end asset for your team because I, I think on the power play with extra time, he's going to be able to use his passing because he has good vision and, and, and affect the play that way. But at five on five, I don't think he's going to be a really high-end effective player. And I've seen a lot of people rank him in the first round, early second round. And I, I think there's just better swings to take. If you're if you're going to take a swing, there's a guy like Alexander Passion maybe that I'd swing on instead. Right. So I, you, you don't dislike Cormier, but if, he, if he's there in the third round, you consider it fourth round, sure, but not in the second for you. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's just one of those guys that I, I like the way he plays. I like factors of his game, but... There's just other guys that I'd take ahead of him because of the downsides in his game. All right, Tony, anybody else that uh, that you uh, have a thought about uh, in that regard, too, that, uh, that might be a bit overrated in your mind? Uh, I think, in general, we get a lot of big defensive defensemen that get a, a little overrated. I, I think of a couple guys like Ryan O'Rourke out of the, C the OHL, the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, and maybe even a Braden Schneider. Um, th they're really good defensive players, and, and I think they're going to be high end, like good assets on a team. They're going to be guys that can eat up some minutes and, and be really good defensive players. But I think with some offensive limitations and the game getting faster, I think teams are, are more leaning towards guys that are going to be able to push the pace of play. And those guys will be more complimentary players in that sense. And 
at a 15th, 16th pick where guys where Braden Schneider maybe gets considered. I think they're just a high end forward that I'd rather take in that spot. Interesting, uh, Tony. Where do uh, uh, listeners uh, track down the uh, the rankings for uh, for Dauber prospects? Uh, you can find them all on DauberProspects.com, and uh, we've got a bunch of stuff there. Rankings, new deep dives coming out as well. So, and you got to put new podcasts too, don't you? Yeah, um, Yoki Nevalainen, the European director of scouting, and I started the Dauber Draftcast. Uh, it's coming out weekly right now. Once the season starts back up and we're more in the ranks. We're probably going to bring it down to two a month, but for the most part, for now, we're just going to keep pumping out episodes, and people seem to like it so far. It's uh, all draft content all the time, so uh, it's been fun. Excellent. Uh, Tony, great to meet you, and I hope you don't mind if I call you again. Yeah, no problem. Anytime, Guy. All right. Stay safe, Tony. Yeah, you too. That was Tony Ferrari representing uh, Dauber Prospects. Uh, Great job by uh, Tony. We'll have him on again uh, in Season 16, I'm sure. Curious to hear from you, the audience, in in regard to what you think of uh, what you've heard so far. The uh, players that the uh, scouts that I've had on uh, have uh, pointed out as uh, personal favorites of theirs and guys they think might be a, a tad bit overrated. Have one more guest to go in Ryan Wagman, but you know you can uh, hit, hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee and maybe suggest six guys that are your personal favorites and uh, some players who you think are overrated. At TPS underscore Gee is where you can follow me on Twitter. I mentioned it. Ryan Wagman is the final guest of Season 15. He scouts for McKean's Hockey, and he's up next here on the Pipeline Show. And now it's a 2 on 0 Mishak and Shirk. Jan Mishak! Patrick Gold! Hello, I'm Jan Mishak of Hamilton Bulldogs, and this is the Pipeline Show. Hi, I'm Sarah from Arcan Trailer and RV. We know many lives have been altered and plans have changed, but something that hasn't changed is everyone's desire to make new memories with their families. Arcan wants to help you go camping this summer and we'd like to make your payments for you. This isn't a deferral. We'll make your payments all summer long. Or if you currently have an RV but need a new one, trade it in and we'll make your payments too. It's on us. Visit ArcanRV.com for details and start planning your best trip ever. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Release the Kraken! Back on The Pipeline Show, last segment for this uh, season finale of Season 15, and uh, we've already heard from a number of scouts from a, uh, a group of different uh, scouting uh, scouting groups, scouting agencies, whatever you want to call them, uh, and uh, time for us to turn our attention to McKean's Hockey, and for that, Ryan Wagman back on the Pipeline Show. Ryan, thanks for taking the time. How are things in uh, your neck of the woods? My pleasure. I didn't know it was the closer. It's uh, it's a lot of pressure on me. Here. <laughs> uh, it's good. We're doing good. You know, it's uh, I mean, Illinois is one of the I guess lighter affected states. Although that's you know putting it relatively, it's still uh, everybody's still got to be very careful. Yeah. But uh, you know, we're, we're trying to be smart in my household, and so far we've been okay. Thank you. How about you? Yeah, well, we've got hockey here in the city now, so everybody's excited about that uh, and just uh, hope everything goes off without uh, any complications and uh, then we can just enjoy some hockey on TV for a while. Despite the fact it's uh, a billion degrees uh, here and uh, hotter than hell, It's it's for some reason it still seems like hockey weather. It's always hockey weather somewhere. 
That's a good outlook. All right, let's get to the discussion. And I've been asking all my guests this week uh, for uh, half a dozen players that uh, would, you know, if you drop a, a list of your favorites, your personal favorites, these guys would be on that list. And uh, for you, the first name out of uh, on the list for you is uh, Elliot Desnoyers. De uh, Desnoyers. Uh, how do you pronounce Elliot's name? That's a good question. My guess is Desnoyers, but uh, I don't know. Um, so j just to clarify, you know, we have in McKean's, we have a team of, of scouts or analysts that cover the game from across the across the hockey globe. And, and when you reached out to me, I kind of put the question out to them and say, you know, who are the guys that, that you guys think uh, from your region are maybe being underrated by a lot of the other agencies, but um, okay. but we like. And so one of the ones that, that first came up, as you mentioned, was uh, Elliot Dinoyer. So he's a, a defenseman from the queue. And... Um, you know, I, th I think you know Mike Sanderson, um, yep. who covers the queue. So he kind of helps out there. And he's somebody who, one of the first things he said about Denoyer was that if he were taller, uh, nobody, we would never be thinking about him for a list like this. You know, that a lot of the issues um, that, that, that leave him, I guess, a little bit, you know, underappreciated are just the fact that I think he's uh, uh, 5'10 or 5'11. My computer's being very slow right now, so I can't get the exact... Uh, um, height there, but um, basically, he's one of the best skaters in the queue. Um, you know, he, he's kind of um, he can play. He does, he plays mostly in the wing now, but but we think he can play some center. Um, he has the type of skill set that can work on a lower line as kind of an energy buzzsaw, but also can play up in the lineup as well. Uh, so he's kind of like a you know a jack of all trades forward. Um, you know, definitely the skating is kind of his elevator pitch in terms of you know what he's going to bring to a team, mm. but good hockey sense. Um, you know, has, has good skill level and he's a grinder as well. Um, one guy that Mike compared him to was Drake Batherson in terms of kind of the impact he could have, which is pretty high praise if you consider what Batherson has become over the years. Maybe a bit of a late bloomer like Batherson then as well. And boy, if there's one thing Mike uh, Sanderson knows well, it's uh, how to pronounce all these uh, names completely bilingual, Mike. And the, the, uh, the French names That's just true. roll off his tongue with ease. So I'll have to ask him uh, how to pronounce that name. But, the one thing that, that stood out to me about this player, the exact same amount of games played this year as last year, only produced four more points, though, and that that's a bit of a head-scratcher for me. You know, I mean, sometimes it, I think, from what my understanding about how he's been used is that um, he's been kind of been used up and down the lineup, and that seems to have been an element of, um, you know, of not being used with the same line mates, so not having the same opportunities even though he's playing the same amount of games, I mean, it, it's, it's a very rough tool to say who he's playing with. Yeah. And so if he's not getting that opportunity or he didn't get it this year, then he's not going to show, he's not going to show what he can do in the numbers. Uh, but, but for Mike and for us, it's more kind of his stylistic approach to the game, what he can do, which makes us think that he is, is possibly being underrated um, and, and could provide more of an impact down the line than where he might be drafted. All right. Elliot Denoyers, or Denoyer, uh, out of the uh, the queue with the, I guess now the Halifax Mooseheads, but uh, was with Moncton. I missed that one. Okay, let's go to um, Ryan O'Rourke from the Sioux Greyhounds. Uh, and again, here's a guy that uh, is high on your list. Uh, just seven goals, though, but uh, I see McKean's, you, you guys uh, like him enough to, to put him right around that first-round bubble. Definitely. He's somebody that we think has, you know, it, it's, Whenever you get to an you know to an NHL draft, there kind of gets to a point in the draft where you're kind of picking between a few guys. It's not you know, we have him in that bubble of, of the first round, but he's not um, 
you know, if he doesn't make it in the first round, we wouldn't be very surprised. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, we had a few guys that we were considering for that last spot. Uh, O'Rourke happened to, he just, you know, he won that straw poll. But, um, you know, we believe that uh, he should be in the conversation, even if he doesn't get in the first round. He should be discussed along the likes of the guys like Brendan Gooley and, and Braden Schneider for guys who, you know, they're not in the in the uh, Sanderson and um, and Drysdale uh, range of, of the defenders in the draft, but he's in that kind of second group. Uh, you know, he's he's physical. He can play a shutdown role. He is, you know, like you said, the points aren't very high, but he's he's going to help you more on the other side of the puck. He also, um, you know, he's got a lot of leadership skills too, and that that kind of intangible still plays the draft and still has value. You know, there aren't that many 17-year-olds who are captaining good CHL teams, and O'Rourke was the captain of the Greyhounds. Mm. You know, he takes care of the puck well. Um, according to the data that we have access to, his uh, completed pass percentage is better than that of any defender in the OHL. And, um, you know, the Sioux also has some other defensemen who are more offensive types who are going to get those, you know, power play one opportunities. Uh, Robert Kalisti, William Constantino, um, so O'Rourke is playing a bit more of a conservative game and he might have more offensive upside than, than we've seen yet, but that his all around game is pretty, uh, pretty impressive. All right. When you threw out Gooley and uh, Schneider's names, when you look at Gooley and Schneider, I think most people would say their value is kind of similar. Gooley may be a bit more offensive minded, Schneider a bit more defensive minded. When you compare O'Rourke to those, just those two guys, is he more like Gooley or more like Schneider? Um, it's a good question. I personally would, would liken him a bit more to Schneider. I, I, you know, I think Schneider's got a bit more of that physical presence. Uh, he's just got a bit more of a mature frame, but also I think Schneider, I don't have the birthdays right in front of me, but I think Schneider is on the older side for this draft class yep. and it'll work is not, but, um, I get, I get more of a Schneider presence. Like Gooley does have that amazing speed that kind of has, gives him like a different, um, you know, style, a different look to his game. And Schneider is going to play a bit more of that, you know, as I said before, kind of conservative role. So that's, that's something I kind of see in Schneider's future. And O'Rourke might be, you know, 98% of that. All right. Uh, Ryan Wagman from McKean's my guest. Uh, let's go to Carter Savoy, who seems to be a real, you either like him or you don't like him kind of a player. In fact, uh, I'll tell you, one of the other scouts I've had on the show this week gave me Carter Savoy as his player he thinks is overrated. But uh, you guys like him a lot. Just on the outside, in fact, if it went, the draft unfolded exactly uh, by your rankings, he'd be the first guy taken in round number two, uh, having him uh, 32nd overall for McKean's. Uh, why do you like him that much? So, you know, that was another interesting one. He was among those guys we discussed with O'Rourke in the last few spots in, uh, in first round. I think uh, Tyson Lanich of the national program was another one of those guys. So, so he's an interesting player as well. I mean, the offensive tools are just, you know – clearly easily first round tools um he, he's easily the, the most dynamic player in the ajhl yes the ajhl is not on par with the whl but it is a league that has in the last few years been producing you know quite a few good high-end talents i mean we see kill mccarr already in the nhl mm-hmm. i think ian mitchell is going to join him pretty soon and, and uh savoy might be the next man up um you know we definitely want to see him playing against better competition of course um, you know, next year, I think uh, he's going to be in Denver, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And that's going to be, um, which reminds me, there's another, um, you know, North Dakota, there's another great AHL guy coming up in Jacob Bernard Docker. But that's a different year, different uh, a d- different team in the NCHC. Um, you know, we, we think that that better competition will give him a chance to rise to, to show what he really can do 
what he's capable of doing. And, um, you know, playing against, you know, top teams in the league head to head, even in the AJHL, he is, despite having, uh, being a smaller player, he's very physically engaged. Um, you know, he gets his scrums after the whistle. He has a high, very high compete level. Um, you know, he's, uh, he always makes plays, even though he's kind of targeted always as, as the, you know, the guy to, to go after on his team, he's still making things happen. He plays tough. He plays bigger than his size. Um, you know, there, there's a lot that he can do. And I think even though he's not playing against that, the best competition, and yeah, you do want to see players playing that, that higher competition level, um, the skill set's there. It'd be interesting to see how he has a, a, a freshman year. You know, you look at Dylan Holloway, who came from the AJHL, and at Wisconsin this year, Holloway's numbers weren't as high as uh, some of the other freshmen on that club. And you wonder uh, what uh, Savoy does as a freshman with the Pioneers next year, if he has a Cole Caulfield-type season or or if he's more like a Dylan Holloway in terms of uh, the level of point production. I think he's going to be counted on in Denver to be one of those offensive leaders, would you say? I mean, he certainly could be. You know, I, I don't have the Denver's roster for next year on hand, but mm-hmm. um, there certainly is room. I mean, I, I watched Denver quite a bit this year, and there certainly is room in that team. Whether or not I remember everybody who's coming back next year, there is room for somebody to take a top six role, and he has the skill set to do so. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't put it past him for living up to that um, that potential. If not immediately, then pretty quick. All right, uh, let's go to some uh, depth guys now for the draft in Yunus uh, Odin. Is a uh, well, he's a born in the states, but uh, looks like he's grown up mostly in Finland. A forward with some decent, well, average size. Uh, what what stood out to you, or for uh, in general for McKean's, uh why you think this guy is maybe underrated? He's a, he's, a, he's actually a very interesting player. Um, you know, I don't know the full backstory, but yes, he was born in the U.S., but he is of uh, Finnish origin. He grew up in Finland. Uh, he's an overager, so he was uh, draft eligible, I believe, at least last year, if not the year before as well. Yeah. But he's kind of he's, he's a versatile winger. He plays a he's a strong skater, big guy, uh, plays a good pace. He's tenacious. Um, you know, he's kind of a, he's a grinder for sure. He's not uh, he's not somebody who should be a top six player down the road. But these days, you do see a lot of NHL teams that employ that kind of grinder mule type player in a top six who can retrieve the puck. You know, make something happen, take up a bit of space on, on the offensive zone, and, and create room for his teammates. He's got a very good shot, even though his point totals weren't always there. Um, he has some skill that he can play with, and, you know, and just he plays with a lot of grit, a lot of determination. Um, he's the kind of guy that that you know, even though if he's not producing the numbers, he still kind of pops on the ice for what he's doing. Um, you, of course, you'd like to see him more. You know, if he had better offensive talent, he'd be going higher, and he probably would have been drafted last year, but. Um, you know, he has a decent skill set, and he, he gets the most out of it. And you give a lot of credit to a player like that. Well, I look at it, he played in the uh, the men's league the last couple of years. Two years ago, he had 20 games and 11 points. This past season, twice as many games, but exactly the same amount of points. Not a red flag? Yeah, you know, again, it depends on who you're playing with, what your, role are, what your roles are. Um, and for us, you know, while we do look at production, we're more looking at what the player brings to the ice. You know, a, a goal can be scored and there's five guys on the ice, but only three of them are going to get points. Uh, his role is not the guy who's going to set up plays. And generally, he's not the guy who can finish them, even though he does have the ability to do that once in a while. You know, his role is to kind of get the, uh, the play moving, but uh, even if it's going to be a little bit understated in doing so. Okay. Um, there's value to a player like that. You know, the guy I often think of when I think of Odin, 
Um, and, you know, we saw him in the World Juniors as well, at least Odin. But the guy I always think of in that style is like a Zach Hyman. You know, he's not going to get the same points as Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner, but he can play with them. And he helps them do what they need to do by creating space and getting the puck out of the corners. Well, what uh, Whereabouts do you have him ranked? Um, I just had it open here. We have him early fifth round. So we have him at 127. Okay. Um, so that, yeah, very beginning of the fifth round. Excellent. All right, let's go to uh, stay in Europe, but with a uh, Swede this time, Matus Zorowski, about average size and playing for Linköping. What can you tell me about him uh, and uh, why he makes it to your uh, McKean's personal favorites list? So he's he's really an interesting guy. I mean, you know, I talk about somebody like Odin. Zorowski is somebody who it wouldn't surprise us if he doesn't get drafted at all. Um, but, you know, he, he, he didn't always do what he could do. But if you look just at what his skill set is, um, he would flash on occasion really, really high-level skills that that told us that, you know, there's a real interesting player here. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, you want to see it more often for sure, um, but the skill is there. And, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, you're, we're trying to project, you know, what a player can be. And if the player can show these skills, even at these lower levels, and, I mean, he wasn't playing at, at you know, extremely low levels. He did spend most of the season in the under-18s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're looking at a player who has skills that most players who have skills of, of his caliber will be gone uh, by the, you know, the, the fourth, fifth rounds where we have him ranked. But, again, he's somebody because he could be inconsistent about it. He could sometimes, you know, not show up. Um, that's definitely a red flag. Uh, that's why, you know, of course, he's not ranked higher. But it, it's something that, that somebody, if they take a, you know, a, take a swing on him in the sixth or seventh round, um, that could give a, a lot of bang for your buck. Well, we'll watch for that. Uh, Cameron Berg played in the USHL, was on a couple of different teams uh, this past year, Omaha, and uh, finished it up with Muskegon. He's going to U- the U- University of uh, Nebraska, Omaha, if and when uh, the uh, season gets going. Um, now, this is, an again, another forward, about average size. What is he, about 5'11", maybe just under six foot. 180, uh, 185 pounds, somewhere in those range. In, in that, that range, yeah. Yeah. Tell me about this guy and uh, what stands out to 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 you about him. So Berg is a player who, yeah, in the beginning of the year, he was almost unnoticeable. You know, he spent last year uh, already in the USHL. You don't get too many 16-year-olds there, but he was playing with Omaha last year on a depth role. He started this year back with the Lancers, playing in a depth role again, and then he was traded to Muskegon and he exploded. And you know, watching him play. He has, you know, he's not a big guy, but he plays, he's, he's a good penalty killer. Uh, he's got an amazing shot. He can skate well, um, good enough that, you know, he kind of, his size shouldn't be a huge factor against him. Um, he just has a, like, a lot of offensive tools. And because of that slow start, you know, some people might, I mean, I hope NHL levels are not just looking at, you know, the overall numbers and they're digging a bit deeper. But if you ignore what he did before he was traded to Muskegon, He's a really, really interesting player. I mean, I guess the skating could be a bit better at his size, but between the shot and his puck skills, his ability to kind of create room to take that shot, he could be a big point producer. And on a team like Nebraska-Omaha, that's not a powerhouse, you know, with uh, with a ton of high-end, you know, um, upper-classman players already on the roster. Mm-hmm. He could have a chance to really show what he can do early in his collegiate career. Uh, he's somebody that really caught my eye this year, and I think he's got he's got more to give. 
one of those freshmen who might be, you know, on a, on a different program might be a third or fourth liner. He might actually get maybe some power play time or something like that even. That's true. And actually, I'm looking now. It looks like he might not get to Nebraska-Omaha until the 21-22 season. Okay. So he could be, you know, a big uh, scoring leader next year. But I definitely, he's, he's a big goal scorer. Uh, now, I've been asking everybody to give me at least one player that they think uh, is either a little bit overrated or they like him, but uh, not as much as other people, and he's going to get taken in the draft at a point where uh, you're not disappointed if if your club doesn't get him because that means somebody else gets pushed down uh, to you. Uh, and for you, you're not the first guy who's given me this name, but uh, Shakir Mukamadulan, uh, not a big fan. So, you know, he's he's an interesting player. He's, you know, we don't want to discount him. He's definitely going to get drafted, and he'll probably be drafted by by the end of the second round, if not even slightly earlier. And that's reasonable, um, but he's somebody you can also overrate pretty easily because, you know, he spent a fair bit of his draft year in the KHL, uh, which you don't get too many players in their draft years playing in the KHL. He's got a mature frame. You know, he looks like a, he looks like a grown-up, right? He looks like an adult that he's ready to, to play, but he doesn't have the greatest tool set. I mean, he, he can play, you know, he can play in the, in the NHL, but is he really more than a than a sixth defenseman? Mm. You know, a third pairing guy. He's tall. He's very lean. I'm assuming he's going to fill out. But he's never really, other than a very short stretch this year in the uh, in, in juniors, he's never really put up big numbers. Not internationally, not at club level. Um, you know, he, he's a stay at home guy. But he kind of he can be a little bit vanilla and and you know off the radar a little bit. And that's not the worst thing in a defenseman. I mean. You know, often they say when, when your defense is being noticed, it's usually for the wrong things. And so, you know, credit to Muhammad Doolin for, for playing in the KHL at this level. Um, you know, credit to him for not sticking out too much and, and, and you know, flying under the radar. But we, we think, you know, those same factors could have him overrated and we wouldn't take him more than, um, you know, probably I, I don't have that. What's the number I have? I'm trying to. Well, again, my computer's acting really funny today, but I think it's like, late second round. Low 70s, and, I think. Uh, Is it low 70s? Yeah, like that 70, about right. 72, <laughs> I believe. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, also, you know, once you get past a certain level, there is a bit of a blend. But, yeah, 72, so that's, you know, early-ish in the third round. Um, whether it's late second, early third, I wouldn't go above there, and I know other other um, outfits do rank him a bit higher. We just don't see that much upside to, to spend more, much more of a draft pick on him than that. All right, and the way you pronounce that last name, you you the the K is silent. My understanding in Russian names is when you have a K H, it's kind of like a, but like a lighter, you know. So uh, like uh, Dmitry Christich. Okay. It's, it, it's there, but it's kind of it's almost silent. All right. Well, see, Mike Sanderson handles the French names for us, and uh, you're going to uh, handle the Russian names for us from now on. How's that? Oh, I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't give my, make myself an expert on the Russian names. If you want Israeli names, if we get any of those, you can call me up. <laughs> Russian names, I'm guessing. All right. Uh, now, where do people go to get the uh, the full uh, list from McKean's? Well, we, we go to McKean'sHockey.com. That's M-C-K-E-E-N-S Hockey.com. And you buy yourself a subscription. And for a three-month package, um, geez, it used to be about uh, $13.99 for three months. But it's in that neighborhood, in the 10 to $20 range, Canadian funds. Uh, you get to view all of our full scouting reports for three months, and you get to download any of our uh, any of our PDFs. So right now, that includes the draft guide, which you know we give full reports on over 200 players, and as well as a number of honorable mention guys who we think could be drafted. Uh, we will be coming out soon with a with an organizational report 
going into looking at the top 15 uh, prospects in each system in the NHL. Uh, we're kind of putting the finishing touches on that now, and hopefully sometime in the next month that'll be out. And um, you know, stick around. We'll get our annual guidebook at the beginning of the, the next season as well. Uh, but, yeah, it comes free with a membership. Awesome. Lots to look forward to at McKean's. Uh, Ryan, as always, really appreciate your time. Great to catch up. Thanks for doing this. Uh, stay safe the rest of the summer. Thank you. Enjoy your uh, your vacation. You've earned it. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Uh, well, uh, and all, all the, by the way, all the team that I talked to and asked for them, they're all big fans of your work, and they're, they're, we have a lot of listeners in the McKean's community. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Take care of yourself. That's Ryan Wagman from McKean's Hockey, and I really appreciate uh, the uh, comment he made at the end like that. I appreciate that, and I made sure it was okay with him if I kept that in. It's always nice to get some uh, positive affirmations every once in a while. Appreciate that, Ryan. And he's always a great guest when he's on the show. Speaking of guests, that's it. We are done season 15. Appreciate all six of the guests that you heard from this week uh, on this final episode. The show will be coming back in a couple of weeks. Uh, just uh, headed out of town for a week of uh, wilderness getaway. And then come back and do some production stuff. Got to create a new intro. And some other things that go along with the show. And then we will be, uh, hopefully, batteries recharged and ready to go. Let's be honest, it's been a uh, tough grind here the last uh, three or four months. And so I just want to say a quick thank you to uh, all of you who have uh, continued listening to the show, even though there hasn't been hockey to listen to. The fact that you are still downloading the show, uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks to the uh, patrons at patreon.com slash the pipeline show who are actually financially supporting the show a couple of bucks a month is all it takes and you can have uh, early access like the patrons do all the interviews that you've just heard they were done on tuesday and wednesday of this week as i'm putting this together it's friday patrons have been able to hear all of these segments for two or three days already uh, and they pay a couple of bucks a month to have that early access privilege if that's something that would interest you, then I would encourage you to look into it as well. Lastly, I didn't do any news and notes or anything in this segment just because of how long it was. And I think all the news that uh, we're really concerned with right now is when uh, we can get back to normalcy. And that does not seem like it's uh, right around the corner. I know the WHL and the CHL is targeting early October to, uh, to start the 2021 season. That's not going to happen, folks. I would recommend that you enjoy the NHL playoffs uh, as they're going on uh, because that might be it for a while. If the CHL is waiting until uh, they can have 50% capacity in their arenas and uh, obviously full travel access uh, across all the provincial borders, let alone into the United States and back without having to quarantine for a couple of weeks, I don't expect junior or college hockey until there's a vaccine. Now, the good news is, sounds like there could be a vaccine as early as uh, the end of 2020 or early into 2021. That's fantastic because originally they were talking about a year, maybe a year and a half, two years. If they can actually have a vaccine available in less than a year, that would be amazing. And just a, a sign of uh, what the what the planet can do when they put their heads together. Let's hope that's the case. Until then, and until I get back in a couple of weeks, just want to remind you, be kind to each other. Treat each other with uh, respect and dignity and help out your neighbors if you can. And just be a good citizen. Take care and stay safe. Until I'm back in a couple of weeks, everybody, my name is Guy Flaming. We'll see you in Season 16. See ya! See ya!